For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Uh, quite a busy amount of stories uh, on Side over the past 24 hours or so. Of course, the Noonan's Road protest. This is people power working yet again. And the residents of Noonan's Road, particularly areas of it where they live in awful conditions, not of their making, took their protest, their public protest yesterday afternoon uh, to City Hall. I'll have some more on this because Seamus was there with them yesterday. More on this a little later on this morning. But it's a front page of making the Echo Noonan's Road protest. And they're holding placards saying all tenants have rights. Cork City Council, protect your tenants. And of course, the most important word in all of that, well, rights is important, but your tenants, because they are tenants and rent-paying tenants, and Cork City Council are the uh, landlords who are left wanting yet again. So that's a front pager making the uh, echo today. They had no problem uh, selling off or disposing, actually, of a bit of Bishop Lucy Park to the Freemasons. So on English carries that story in the examiner today. Um, It was voted... Um, through 18 to 7 during yesterday's council meeting. It's 54 square metre parcel of Bishop Lucy Park and they have sold it or given it to the Freemasons at a cost of 1 euro and the 1,500 euro legal fees uh, to facilitate an extension that they need onto the uh, Masonic Hall on Tucky Street. So council was somewhat divided, not 50-50 uh, because 18 councillors voted uh, to allow that um, you know gift, if you like, to go through. Um, seven voted against it. Um, but one of the things that the Masons must do is they have to allow people and groups access to the building for a minimum of up to 20 hours a month. Now, I will also come back to that a little later on. Uh, it involves actually having to cut down healthy, healthy trees. Uh, but I suppose the old robot trees will look after the air, that the um, real trees, they're cutting them down. And then, you know, the bridge that's going over um, the link there, or the South Ring, um, it's got a name now. It's called Vernon Mount Bridge. It's, an, it's a nice name. It's not an inspiring name in any way, shape or form but apparently they shortlisted and shortlisted and shortlisted and brought it down to, to six names which were Vernon Mount Bridge uh, Funchog Dove which is Black Ash Bridge Tremor Valley Bridge Sanctuary Bridge Pride Bridge uh, and Tubber Bridge and then they decided on Vernon Mount Bridge um, which to me actually uh, is quite ironic really and almost bordering on hypocritical seeing us on Cork City Council's watch when they had numerous opportunities to compulsorily purchase Vernon Mount House they didn't do so even though they knew that there was a lot of antisocial behaviour in the area and in the house they didn't do so even when they knew that there were fires being lit inside in the house, they didn't do so. And then, of course, it was absolutely gutted uh, by thugs who burnt it to the ground. Uh, so it's a bit like crying over spilt milk, I suppose. But they give the nod to the former Vernon Mount House by calling the bridge Vernon Mount Bridge. So, um, interestingly, there were other names suggested uh, by members of the public, including Snotty Bridge, Cheeseburger, Hamburger Bridge, and one that I particularly liked, Corky McSteel Bridge. Uh, but all of those got rejected. Papers also on Leaside talk about what's the future with the Marina Market. If you were into the odd bet here and there, what would you be getting odds-wise on them being turfed out? I hope it doesn't happen because it's a huge success and people love it. But they are still looking for further details, or at least the planners are, uh, further information to decide on the latest application from the Marina Market. And if they can sort that out, the Marina Market will go from strength to strength because they've got so much square footage down there and the availability of so many units that they can keep on adding and adding and diversifying down there. So that's the dealio there on Lee side.
nationally, of course, is a very serious day. And I know that everybody is, uh, and, and for want of a better word, looking forward to the Public Accounts Committee today. Um, I hope that Ryan Tuberty manages to answer the questions that he's asked. I hope that he gives a credible version of events and I hope that he does himself proud in what he has to say because I don't want anybody to be cancelled or to lose their livelihood or their career on this. I hope he can make sense of it for us. It's going to be a very difficult day for him and indeed for Noel Kelly, his agent. We're probably going to see the end of RTE dealing with agents who can have 12, 15 or 20 people on their books in one radio station or one television station. I think that's probably one of the things that Backhurst will knock on the head. Interesting to note that Gay Byrne never had an agent. Uh, Mind you, he lived with awful grief with RT, trying to be paid decently for the work that he was doing for many years, but he never had uh, an agent. I'll come back to this in a few minutes now. So the headlines in the papers, Tubbs, Late, Late Showdown, Pack, Sack and Crack. It's the Late, Late Showdown. They're just the red tops this morning. Day one of the job from hell. I'm not quite sure it's a job from hell. It's a well-paid job that Kevin Backhurst has got himself. He's the boss of RTE and he probably will relish the challenge. They also talk in the papers today of those that have now gone. Of course, the executive board has gone. But when I say gone, gone, as in left the job, Geraldine O'Leary is one of them. She has retired early. And of course, Richard Collins was another. He will continue actually for now the ex-FOC, financial officer, uh, to answer questions at both PAC and, uh, and the media committee today. But one of the things that Kevin Backer said that was quite interesting was that the future of Ryan Tuberty will be in Ryan Tuberty's hands today, right? He's got to quit himself well. And he's got to, and I wouldn't use the word performance here because this is not about a performance. This is a guy who's defending his career and his income and his livelihood and perhaps... You know, uh, if you can navigate through this, he can get on with, with work in some way, shape or form. But some of the papers are suggesting that his only hope now is in the UK. In fact, The Sun this morning says that any hope that Ryan Tuberty can land a career in the UK, um, they're almost indicating that he won't have a career in Ireland, that will hang on his performance today at both those committees. Um, but a lot of it actually will have to do as to whether uh, Ryan Tuberty ever walks through the doors of RT again will have to do with RTE staff. And I've been reading lots and lots of different stories. Perhaps you are as well. Maybe you don't even buy a physical paper. You might be doing it online. But they're saying, and Kevin Backer said yesterday, that whether or not he ever goes back, and they have to make that decision soon, will actually be made by RTE staff themselves um, as to whether they will want to work with him again. So a lot of it will have to do with today. Well, actually, it's been said today. There will be more uh, meetings, of course, tomorrow and indeed Thursday, but he won't feature in those, nor will Noel Kelly. But they also talk in the papers this morning of the amount of people that were benefiting from the car parks within RTE. RTE. 61 of them apparently have car parks where they uh, get fairly substantial uh, car allowances, a lot of them up to 25 grand a year for their cars. And Darren Garrahy continues to have the spotlight shed on her particularly by the, by the newspapers, because um, she has been doing a lot of extracurricular activity. And the question is being asked is, has she got permission from RTE uh, to be doing the things that she's been doing? There was uh, the story of something to do with a company that she has uh, where um, the, uh, they have a, a cruise, co- cruise company or something. They have boats on the water. And there was some, uh, some tickets given away or bay cruises. They were uh, given away um, events for listener boat parties, which technically... Should have an outside broadcast fee attached to it, but it was her, her family's company, and now 
You're at her as well now because of the ticket giveaways that she gave out in her 2FM show for her live podcast, that there should have been a charge for that as well. Um, pubs are getting ready for the greatest show on earth. I endeavoured to find out yesterday if any pubs were actually honing in on today's show, and I failed to find any. So we just gave up on it then. Um, but uh, who needs the late, late show when the Oroctus Committee meetings are now the biggest draw on television and will be shown in pubs across the day? I, I don't think there'll be a whole lot of people bothered to go to be lofting pints at 11 in the morning. And also, it, it, to some extent, it would be almost like celebrating the possible demise of somebody's career. And there's nothing really nice about that at the end of the day. See, there's another story in the UK there. We have the youngest person, the young person at the centre of the BBC presenter scandal. Um, everybody's thrown names around online as to who the presenter is. She's come out now through her lawyer. I think she's 20 now. But she's saying the whole thing is absolute, total and utter rubbish. Um, and the claims made by her mother are also rubbish. She insisted that the star had done absolutely nothing inappropriate or unlawful. Uh, there's allegations that 35 grand was handed over um, for um, uh, fairly explicit pictures. So that one is uh, is doing the rounds in, in the UK, obviously, at the moment, because there are two sides to the story. Somewhere in the middle of it all, of course, there's truth. There's the tragic death and then of Max Wall makes the red tops today. 18-year-old man, lad, he was out and on his leaving cert holiday uh, with all of his pals in EOS. And he was one of the two Dublin teens who tragically died in Greece um, I only found out yesterday that he was actually on the phone talking to his dad when he collapsed and died. He was about to board a ferry. Isn't that so, so tra- sad? And we heard all of this yesterday from his funeral, where his family, particularly his dad, said beautiful, beautiful things. Papers also this morning have the big dead whale down on the beaches of Ballinskellig, and people are uh, going down to view it by all accounts. Uh, I see uh, photographs of it continuing to make the papers this morning with a warning the people going down there, don't get too close because the whale could explode. Apparently gas builds up inside in the stomach. Happens to humans as well when they die incidentally. Uh, But could you imagine the scale of it in the stomach of a whale? So at any time it could actually explode and you wouldn't want to be anywhere close when that happens. Here's a story that was making the papers there about six months ago. It has finally come to a conclusion uh, in the Star this morning this is, do you know the, the psychic medium um, who got a man to give her 10,000 euro because she was telling him that his deceased father had warned that if he didn't give the money, the devil would take his soul. And apparently uh, this individual, this man, was deceived um, and gave the 10 grand to Debbie Paget, who was described by a judge as an old-fashioned confidence trickster at the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court yesterday. Uh, apparently this man went to one of her her sessions, her psychic medium sessions. And he said that during the session, she started talking about his father and she says to him, your father said you're to give me 10,000 euro. Uh, And then she hassled him over time saying, when are you getting the money? When are you getting the money? If you don't do it, it'll be a sin and the devil will get you. And he gave her 10 grand in an envelope um, after he took it out of his bank account. Well, she's off to jail now to cool her heels for 12 months, and that's the story from the court reports today. And, you know, interestingly, you might think that everybody has migrated online, and a lot of people have, to buy things, but there's a report out this morning saying that shoppers are logging off in favour of the real deal. Now, high streets and bricks-and-mortar shops will love to hear this. Of course, the clever ones will also have an online side. They'll have the physical shop and the online side. But they're saying that punters now are just fed up with the hassle of returning goods brought on, bought online. Uh, and they need to get out and about more uh, to see more of uh, the actual physical shopping 
alternatives instead. Instead, where you try something on in the shop and you go into the little dressing room and if you like it and it fits, you take it home. Rather than buying something on a whim online, it arrives in the post or DHL will bring it out to you and it doesn't fit or you don't like the colour or you change your mind. You get all the hassle then of sending it back again. Makes perfect sense to me. If you think the, the situation in Ireland with regards to where we will house and where we're putting uh, Ukrainian war re- refugees or people here under international protection orders, we're not alone in this. They're having the same kind of drama and grief in the UK. And the front of the UK Times this morning says it's so bad there that at this stage, the UK government are spending half a million pounds a day keeping many thousands of hotel beds empty as a buffer just in case they need them. So like there's 5,000 empty hotel beds in the UK at any one time empty at any one time being paid for um, by the British Exchequer. And apparently a couple of uh, superstar stories making the papers today. Uh, Madge is on the mend. She went on the line yesterday to send positive energy and prayers and words of healing and encouragement to all of her fans to say that she's fine. One thing that she didn't do yesterday after her health scare is tell her fans what was wrong with her. And Aretha Franklin is no longer with us, but there's uh, a lot of grief. Have you ever noticed the amount of grief there is about wills of very famous people after they die and people contesting wills? Well, she apparently, they thought, had no will. And then it was thought that uh, upon her death uh, that her four sons would evenly divide the estate. But apparently now, two handwritten documents, including a document found stuffed beneath sofa cushions, has just been Um, discovered. And it doesn't look good for the four sons, but apparently, um, so they're going to contest it, but it just reminded me of the other wills that people contested. In the UK Times this morning, talk about Prince, who died without a will, led to a massive family battle over his $156 million uh, estate. Leonard Cohen uh, died at the age of 82, left $48 behind. And there's a legal battle since 2016 still ongoing regarding his will. Elvis Presley died over 50 years ago. But funnily enough, Presley's estate still generates, although he's dead, $100 million a year. But if you remember, uh, there was a, a big court battle between family members, including Lisa Marie Presley, for quite some time over the estate. She won out in the end. And the only other story I have for you then from the point of view of uh, celeb status is um, there's a story in the mirror this morning with photographs from 1979 of U2. And it proves the point that you should never, ever give up. One of U2's first gigs, apparently, was back in 1979. Right in a place called the Rock Garden in London, there were 12 punters in the audience. 12 punters. Now, you would think with an audience like that, the one band member might have said to the other lads, let's sling our hooks. We're never going to make it in this. But they didn't. But the black and white photographs making the papers today of U2 gigging in 1979 for any U2 fan are well worth seeing. So check them out for yourself. You're listening to Court's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville Show on Court's Red FM. Okay, can I get straight to the phone lines? Because at 11 this morning, we have the Public Accounts Committee in the afternoon. Then we have uh, the Media Committee. One of those who will be in and asking questions at the Public Accounts Committee meeting this morning from 11, asking questions of Ryan Tuberty and indeed Noel Kelly, is the Cork TD, James O'Connor, the Fianna Gael DT, and he joins me by phone. I have a few questions for him. James, good morning. Good morning. Um, can I just ask you, first of all, have you received the documents that you were waiting? I'm told that you were going to get them at half past eight from Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly. 
We did, they landed this morning at approximately 20 to 9. Uh, there's about 20 documents in there. Uh, they're quite interesting, so I've been going through what I've managed to get my, my, my paws on so far. Uh, and what seems to be the case from what we have is that there seems to be serious contradictions of information between the executive board's information presented to the media committee and public accounts and now by what Mr. Kelly and Mr. Tuberty are going to be telling us. So it's going to be a fascinating day um, and I definitely encourage people to, to have a chance to, uh, to watch it. Uh, it'll be tar- starting at 11 o'clock this morning. OK, and can you give us any indication at this stage as to where these discrepancies are. I mean, what, for instance, is Ryan Tuberty saying? So he's insisting that he, he was unaware um, of any controversy um, when he was standing down from the Late Late Show. So this is quite interesting. So this this probably is going to try and dispel the rumour that he was aware that the Grant Thornton report uh, which identified, um, you know, the consultancy fees being used uh, in, in terms of a top-up of his salary uh, being, a, I suppose, a contributing factor to the Late, late, late Show um, and him standing down as the presenter of that show. So that's one of the first things that he's come out today to deny. Uh, there is also... Has um, he said that he mis- didn't know anything of the controversy when he made that decision? Effectively, yes. Um, so he he said that he had he had basically what he said is I had left uh, a lot on the studio floor after COVID. It's one of the things that he said, and I was burnt out and exhausted uh, by the time I got to January, and I was absolutely certain of my decision. So he's basically informing us that he probably made a decision at the end of last year that he no longer wanted to present the Late Late Show. However, and this is important, the Grant Thornton uh, report into the twenty. 20 payments uh, by RT to the presenter finds uh, they found out uh, I suppose that these, these these monies were being transacted as consultancy fees uh, and what it said was on the balance of probabilities it did not reflect the substance of the transactions so in 2022 these were identified I'm sure Mr. Torberty probably would have been made aware that Grant Thornton were in actually asking questions around these payments that were made to him uh, and these misstated payments uh, amounted to about 120,000 euros between 2017 and 2019. So that's going to be a crucial part of the questioning today. Did he know that in 2022 before the decision was made to step down from the Late Late Show? But the total is 345,000 euros. Does he reference that at all, these secret payments to him? So the documents that were provided here, uh, there there are referencing to fees to his salary. Like, I'm going to be quite honest with you here. I haven't been able to physically go through all of the information just quite yet. It's going to take another hour to get through these papers. But there is um, information provided in there um, around year one, year two, year three, year four, year five in terms of the gross salary. And I think that includes the Reynolds figures as well. So he does refer to it. Um, but what is important is that, you know, he has uh, published a documentation of the paperwork between Brida O'Keefe, who was the previous chief financial officer. Uh, it's also worth noting that the current financial officer uh, stood down uh, this week, has resigned with immediate effect. Uh, and the previous CFO's uh, letter, uh, letters to uh, Mr. Noel Kelly uh, are now in the 
public domain. And what it says is we can agree to a fee of €435,000 per contract for 38 Late Late Shows and 205 radio shows with a sign-off fee of €75,000 at the end of the fifth of five-year contract in, in a side letter agreement. So it says a side letter agreement and that then obviously identifies the €75,000 uh, that would have come yeah. from the, the Renault deal as well. That, so would, make, that would bring the, the, that would make the entire package way over half a million then, wouldn't it? In and around that, and also what we need to find out today is, is, was there any other outstanding deals? You know, for example, did Mr. Poverty get anything from product placement on the Late Late Show? You know, were there other other uh, matters at stake as well? So, like, for me today, it's about credibility. Uh, it's about identifying, you know, what was really behind his decision to stand out from the Late Late Show. And if his information stacks up, because the Grant Thornton report was underway in 2022, so when was it said to Tuberty that, you know, there are this questions. is going to be an absolute yeah. bombshell? Uh, does he, in anything that you've read so far, refute whether or not he refused to take a pay cut during COVID when others were taking substantial pay cuts? Is there anything about that? Well, he uh, claims that there was no attempt to conceal or deny his pay arrangements with RTE. That was something that was said. Um, you know, uh, there, there was there was reference to that in documentation. Now, in reference to uh, the pay cuts, there was there was wording around offsetting pay cuts and obviously the inclusion of an exit pay, exit payment. So there there was no, I suppose, denial um, as regards as regards him taking pay cuts. But what I would say is that they they've they put in quite interesting language around how they want to describe the pay arrangements that were put in place. So like there, there would have no been doubt. there would have been pay cuts for sure. There would, but at the same time, these extra seventy five grands, the tripartite agreement to pay seventy five grand every year plus the exit fee which would then negate the pay cut and, and then some. That is correct. But what's also important here, and this is, this, is, this is really, really important, it was all hidden. You know, it was, it was, it was confidential. It's probably the, the most politically correct term to use uh, in this situation. But it was a private, under-the-table deal uh, that was kept from the public uh, domain where this was arranged. Uh, it, it, it was caused as a consequence of the Reynolds deal collapsing with RT when the pandemic came on. Mm. So Ryan Tuberty was supposed to do something around the bounds of four events for, for Reynolds every year. He was going to get paid €75,000 per annum for doing that. When the pandemic hit, that contract fell apart. And what happened was that Mr Kelly and Tuberty were in discussions which now we know with this chief financial officer of RTE, Andy Forbes, where they negotiated a top-up of his salary to the amount that was uh, agreed with Reynolds, uh, and, and that was kept private. Even though those figures were published annually, uh, it did miss the €75,000 that was paid. That's to right. yeah. And that, from a credibility point of view, is perhaps the most damaging thing uh, for Ryan Tuberty this morning. OK, because the first 75 was paid by Renault, the other two were paid by RTE, and apparently Correct. there is sight of two invoices that no Kelly management and management acknowledged to RTE where the 275 grands were paid. Yes, okay. and unfortunately for me, I, I think of anything today, you know, that's an unshakable fact for Ryan Tuberty. And if he wants to rebuild his trust with the public, he'd have to be very forthright and I suppose apologetic uh, on those grounds. And that's something I would be asking him in, in, in my line of questioning. Okay, and will that involve also, um, and has he referenced there in the paperwork you have, why he didn't correct the published figures of his salary for so long? 
No, I haven't seen anything in, in okay. relation to that yet. Okay. I, um, I, I don't think that's included in the documentation. Okay. But I, I will, I will be, I will be going through uh, the, the remainder. I would say this much as well. It's important to say that I think it was a bit sneaky what was done this morning. Uh, that all of this documentation is arriving very, very late. We've been checking our files since 7 p.m. yesterday, and there was an expectation that these documents would land yesterday evening. Um, and when I landed in Dublin last night, coming back from my constituency, it was coming from y'all last night, and there was nothing in by one o'clock. I thought they and told you have faith this morning. You always knew that. I, 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 no, it was, only, it was only at the very, very end of the day yesterday. It was said that they'd be received at some time before um, 8.30. Okay. But normally these documents would land in the night before. Okay. So this has been done quite, quite, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a cute move, we might call it. Do you think it was um, orchestrated to trip you up and trip up the committee that you won't have enough time? I think so. Uh, you know, I, I suppose in, in terms of the, the documentation, like 20 pages of information is an awful lot to be studying for two hours before a committee meeting. Okay. You know, and it, it, there's quite a lot contained within those pages as well. Okay. People will see them. They're all over Twitter at the moment if they want to have a look. Okay. And, and I'm going encourage to, people to tune in. Yeah, I'm going to let you get back to it. Just one or two quick questions. Have you looked yeah. at any of the documentation given by Noel Kelly? Does anything st- stick out? Um, for me, I think that the documentation with Noel Kelly is fascinating as with Breda O'Keefe. Um, they are the documents where the nitty-gritty of those pay arrangements that RT had negotiated uh, in the later years when the contract with Reynolds collapsed. They are now in the public domain. There are documents documents there with Breda O'Keefe that were sent on the 20th of February of 2020. So let's just put our minds back to the outbreak of COVID-19. Um, and obviously, uh, that, that's when, 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 when it started to deteriorate very rapidly internationally. And by the middle of March of 2020, the country was in lockdown. People will remember the famous St. Patrick's Day speech, speech by then Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. So that document is up online now. And it does show the emails, transactions between Breda and Noel, which okay. very clearly state um, in those documents about the additional top-up um, of the €435,000 salary uh, that Ryan Tuberty was in receipt of. Okay, if you had one question, I know you'll have perhaps more than that something like 10 minutes I think, but if you had one question to put to Ryan Tuberty this morning, what would it be? I think I think it's going to be in relation to this, this pay deal. Does he regret, you know, after tax he probably took home 38,000 euros and was this confidential arrangement really worth the reputation and damage he's now experienced? You know, that, that to me stands out above everything else that he let these figures be published for two years without correcting them. And we need to establish, was it really worth the hassle to go and do what he did? And that, that to me, is the most important question that I want to try and ask Ryan today. And for Mr. Kelly, my most important question to him is that he, did he have any beneficial interest into the UK consultancy firms that were in receipt of the finance that was flowing between RTE and them? And had he any financial interest in those firms as well. Okay, I'll let you get back to the paperwork and be watching with interest with regards to the contribution you give to the pack today. James O'Connor, Funafall TD, thank you for taking the call for now, appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. He got his head up from the paperwork this morning to take our call, I appreciate that. I am told that um, already, as as, uh, James is just saying, there's quite an amount of uh, what Ryan Tuberty would be saying in that document that he has given to the pack committee already up online. And there are seven untruths he claims to have been told about him and his RTE payments. The first one that he addresses this morning is uh, the claim that he didn't take a pay cut from RTE in 2020. He says, that's not true. I took a 20% pay cut from RTE in my 2020 to 25 contract. I took a 20% cut 
from RTE. Um, the other one then was the second untruth, the suggestion that my decision to retire from the Late Late Show was prompted by this whole debacle. He says, that's not true. I was not aware of any of this when I decided to retire from the Late Late Show. I made my initial decision to leave the show almost a year ago. Um, I mentioned it to my closest, my family and my agent. They were surprised. Uh, but among other things, I was burnt out and exhausted. Uh, another one of the untruths he claims is that I was covertly or secretly overpaid by RTE. He says, not true. I was not overpaid by RTE. I fully accept I'm well paid, but I was paid fully in accordance with my contract. My agent negotiated openly, honestly. There are no overpayments. These are RTE's under declarations which we challenged them on back in 2020. He says he actually challenged RTE about the incorrect published figures. It's caused justifiable anger amongst my colleagues. He says, I understand that. He says RTE's inaccurate declarations is an impression that I have been less than honest and this is not the case. He's going to have a problem with that one because he will be asked, well, when you knew it was wrong, you went to RTE and told him it was wrong, why didn't you go public yourself and correct it? Uh, the fourth untruth, he says, is that I was aware that RT were trying to conceal payments to me. Not true. I was not aware that they were trying to conceal payments. RT acknowledged this in their statement on the 27th of June when they stated that Grant Thornton had made no findings against me. Um, there are two more. The fifth, he says, that there was a secret agreement with Renault that I tried to conceal. He says, not true. But not only that, it absolutely beggars belief. I had a separate commercial agreement with Renault, the basis of which was that I would make public appearances and roadshows for them. The work I've done for Renault is all over social media. The suggestion that it was secret makes no sense. And the final one, RTE underwriting Renault's payment obligation being kept a secret. Again, he says not true. RTE's underwriting of the Renault payment obligation was not a secret as the documents we have prepared for you today show. And my agent will explain this in more detail. So that will be an interesting one, the sixth untruth on its own alone, to see how they explain that one away, because um, um, it, it certainly would have seemed to have been kept secret uh, and only came out in the wash in the recent five or six weeks. So we'll watch that with interest a little later on this morning. I'll, I'll be on air um, and uh, I hope to be able to time it so that I can get uh, Ryan Tuberty and perhaps Noel Kelly's live statements to the pack uh, sometime after 11 this morning. Text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 0868104106. Gorks Red FM. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Yesterday we were talking with uh, pedophile hunters on the air regarding a case that they uh, highlighted on the north side of Cork. Um, there is a devastatingly powerful a report that's just been released. Um, it's called Protecting Against Predators, a study on the sexual exploitation of children and young people in Ireland. Uh, it was actually commissioned and put together the study by UCD. Dr. Mary Canning is one of the co-authors of it and she joins me by phone. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Actually, good morning. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was reading and the scale of what is going on. Where, where does one begin? Well, we know that there are 5,600 children in care um, I imagine all of those under the care of Tusla, uh, living with foster carers. That much I know to be correct, yeah? Yes, absolutely. The majority are in foster care. Your report, talk, your report talks about grave concerns about girls, and indeed, reading the report, some boys as well, being groomed and sexually exploited by organised gangs of older men. What can you tell us about this? 
Yeah, what, that, that's what we, we found out, Neil, in the study, that the professionals who are working with and overseeing this, what they are coming in, into contact with is evidence of organised groups and networks of predatory men targeting girls and young people and boys too uh, in residential care. And they're targeting them, they're, uh, they're grooming them, and then they are uh, leading them to believe that they are in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. They are taking them to different hotels and apartments throughout the country, and they're sexually exploiting, sexually abusing, raping them in, the, in these rooms. Can I look at where these children are living? They're in the care of the state, but in what kind of residential settings? Okay, they like uh, the residential settings that we're talking about here. They're like they can house up to six children, mm. or in small a, sm- a smaller group of children, one or two children, and they're throughout our communities. They're uh, all around. Their locations naturally to have to uh, keep this uh, and protect the children. They don't disclose their location, uh, but understand. they are throughout our community. They would be protected under the Child Care Act. I, un- I understand that, but there would be small groups of children who would be living together under the care of Tusla staff. Um, and then you talk about men hanging around. Of course, they also have access to them through social media because they would have smartphones, I suppose. Yeah. They would be oh, absolutely, and they would mm-hmm. what? They would gain the confidence of the of the young girls, hang around, or indeed coerce them out, and take them away. Exactly, exactly, Neil. I mean, all young people like are on social media, so I mean, these are predators, and they know who to target, and they become aware. Uh, they they build up relationships with them on Snapchat or on social media. Uh, they learn where where the girls are. They accidentally, on purpose, bump into them on their way to school, on their way into town, wherever the, the girls are. And then they befriend them. They give them attention. They um, like, And then like, they build up this relationship, this grooming exercise. It's quite sophisticated. So the, they, the, the girls really do believe that they are uh, in a boyfriend relationship and they think that they are going off with their boyfriend uh, and they get into cars with them or their boyfriend said we'll send a taxi to pick you up and they go away, they meet them, but they may not come back then uh, to the care home until a day or two later. And the professionals were telling us when they do come back, they come back in, in a really bad state. Like uh, there were a few instances where they were under the influence of alcohol or drugs and just really, really distraught when they came back. Are they being but, plied with alcohol and drugs? But certain, certainly from what we've been told is that um, alcohol and drugs are, are being used as well. I mean, they're taken to what they call parties, uh, and I, I put inverted commas around the parties, but um, that come along to a party, they're given drugs and alcohol, and then like they're passed around to different men at, the, at these parties. And it's all part of the uh, power and the manipulation and the coercion um, into sexual activity. I mean, these 
these children to uh, have sex with any child under 17 mm. is rape, it's mm. statutory rape. Mm. Mm. Um, the grooming can involve a cycle where girls originally exploited can later become recruiters. Uh, that's in your report. I- explain that. Uh, what what we're being t- we're told, and I think in all of this, um, what, what we have to understand is the children and the young people, uh, and they're like what what they have experienced. So, in a sense, what what was being told to us here is that they have seen that some children then taking other children along to parties with them, um, and like they don't. Uh, understand that what what is going on is that they have been manipulated and they've been told by the manipulators, the predators, to bring other children with them. Yeah. And yeah. Or as your quote in the report says, them. bring other kids on board. You tell the story of a girl who encouraged a girl and a friend of hers to abscond from the care home um, to her so-called boyfriend. The man brought both girls to an apartment, supplied them with drugs to achieve compliance, sexually assaulted them. Um, and you say sometimes multiple men who would be substantially older than the girls, like twice their age, sometimes even more. Yeah, I mean, they, like, what, what we were being told by the professionals was that uh, girl, uh, boy or uh, men in their 20s up were befriending girls. So like from mid-20s up, um, these are the age profile. Of, of the predators and the perpetrators here. Um, so could it be that, because, you know, media organisations, we, we constantly are, people are in touch with us looking for children who have gone missing and then we have photographs of them, descriptions of them. You know, you, you hear it all of the time. You see it on social media all of the time. The newspapers carry it. Could some of those children be going through this kind of scenario? Um, for sure. I mean, one of the... Key risk factors for children is when they go missing, um, and that 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 is one of the risk factors identified in the literature for children who go missing or who are in residential care. That they're very vulnerable, and that predators know this and exploit that. So yes, we would, and the professionals worried what was happening when the, when the children went missing. Went missing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is obviously the Garda Shikana. Um, are, are very much hands-on in this. Um, like, uh, how aware are the guards of this criminal activity? Uh, the the Garda units, um, there's a Garda National Protective Services Bureau, uh, a national services bureau, who is very much aware of, of what's going on in relation to this. Um, we now have divisional protective services units, and these are units that specialise in sexual crime of this nature. So they would be very aware of this going on. But what we call for in our study is that um, we uh, train all guards. Those are the guards uh, like in the, on the front line uh, on the beat, that they too can recognise these signs and know how to investigate it and then that they can uh, send up those reports to the divisional units and to the national unit so that they can be investigated. But did your, uh, did your report manage to find out if there's ever been a criminal prosecution of a man or a group of men uh, for this kind of uh, criminal activity, this rape, this that- paedophilic activity? 
Oh, um, but as part of this study, like we presented our findings to to senior members of the the National Guard of Protective Services Bureau, um, and they weren't surprised with with our evidence, um, but uh, with I suppose any kind of uh, investigation uh, that wasn't can't be disclosed to us until like until it's disclosed okay uh, but but you everybody. you don't know of any that's been to court as of yet in the past but, um as of uh, there there was reports and and we report on it in our study of an investigation into an alleged sexual exploitation and uh, uh criminal ring and in 2022. A criminal ring. Okay, an organised criminal ring. That's why one of the professionals, possibly somebody from Tusla, described it as a tsunami of offending. Is that right? Uh, well, again, uh, in Tusla, again, they weren't surprised by our evidence and they are much more like working with uh, the Gardaí Corner now in relation to that and setting up uh, child sexual exploitation procedures. Um, but they like they started this work or the procedure in 2021. But from our evidence, we feel that more t- like it hasn't bedded down. They need to extend the training and, and train more of their staff around this. Because they can see it. The Irish Times is reporting that um, outside a residential home for children in the care of the state, staff would see night after night cars pulling up outside the accommodation um, and, and, and you'd, you'd wonder there would be no real acceptable reason for cars to be pulling up outside the accommodation and then there was the, the 16 year old girl uh, who would walk out of the group home, get into that car she'd often return with new clothes jewellery, possibly outed from drink and drugs and clearly having been sexually offended Mm-hmm. It's it's shocking, isn't it? It really and truly is. Yeah, um, it's like, it is so disturbing. Yeah, yeah. And but this needs to be known, doesn't it? Because it's only by this study makes people aware of how bad it actually is. Yeah, and and this like and uh, one of the uh, participants in the study said this is only the tip of the iceberg, um, and this is a scoping study. So like it's not a prevalence study. We we started this work because we were hearing ourselves from our other work uh, on the sex trade that women in, engaged and exploited in the sex trade were entering it as children, and then also international research was telling us like children are being sexually exploited. So that, that made us say, well, look, we have to look at this in Ireland because Ireland is no different than any other country. So this was the first study of this type to actually begin this process. But we need an awful lot more research to, to work out the extent of it. Like this is not a prevalence study. This is just really just, I suppose, just uncovering, shining a light mm, on what that's is going it. on. Yeah, well described. We yeah. do need to be uh, aware of it and we all need to. And that's why our title, uh, Protecting Against Predators, it's all our responsibility okay, as well, a society to protect. Well, you've certainly shone a light on it this morning and everybody listening to this programme now know what is happening amongst us, unfortunately, to vulnerable young people. Thank you so much for taking the call, Mary. Do appreciate yes, it. I- Thank you, Neil. All the best. Dr. Mary Canning, researcher and co-author of the Sexual Sexual Exploitation 
programme in UCD. It's alarming, to say the least. Text 0868 104 106, back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106 Yes, indeed. We've been talking a lot about movies recently, different films that are out and about, and uh, interestingly, uh, Pat, or I think it's Pat, says, uh, Morning, Neil. Speaking of films like you were in yesterday's programme, Friday week will be the release of Oppenheimer in the cinemas, and it is going to propel Killian Murphy into the stratosphere. Your people need to contact his people. <laughs> I love that. To set up an interview. If Killian has shares in the profits of Oppenheimer, he's going to be a very wealthy man, as the film won't be available on television for 100 days. You know what? You're so right in everything you've said. I, I'm a huge fan of Killian Murphy. I loved every film he's done so far, and I absolutely adore Peaky Blinders also have. I also can't wait for Oppenheimer. And I hope that it absolutely flies for him. However, uh, my people have contacted his people on numerous occasions. I accept that he is a very private man, doesn't do a whole lot of interviews, probably doesn't sit comfortably with him, but I have tried in the past uh, to talk with Killian Murphy. That's not anything that I've given up on, and I hope that it happens at some stage, because I would love to come into the studio and have a good old chat, and we could have good crack and we could all tell him how proud we are of him. So if it happens, it happens. But it isn't as if I haven't tried. Um, you know, with regards to the library protest, big response to that yesterday, a lot of people. In this hypocrisy central country that we live in, uh, a whole show dedicated to talking about the protection of children, uh, which is exactly what uh, the likes of the uh, protesters outside and inside the library want and are doing. They are the only people defend the only people defending this book are people who haven't read a book, read the book, as in this book is gay. If and when they do read it, if they have any morals at all, they will hang their heads in shame for having supported pornography aimed at children. They are defending the indefensible. It's an interesting point of view, actually, that the message sometimes gets lost in how it's delivered, I suppose. Um, and, you know, the vulnerability of our children is a serious problem. And you saw that from the report from UCD this morning regarding the grooming of young children in Tusla care by men and gangs of men. Um, another person actually takes umbrage to anybody who protests being labelled as far right. Uh, the protesters regarding the library are not far right. They are concerned parents. I'm sick to death of people being called far right for standing up for the country and their children. Why did reporters in your piece not talk to anybody from the counter-protest? Uh, love the show, says Mary Jane. Well, perhaps they did, but I, I, I didn't get that audio if it was done. I only got the audio that I could work with. I can go back and see if there is other audio, if you wish. It's very interesting, though, uh, when you talk about um, um, people standing up for their country and their children um, and using and people being labelled as far right. I, I think everybody has a right to protest. They also have a right to have their voice heard. And this siren that was used at the protest so that the opposing protesters could not be heard. I think that was a low blow. I think that was unfair. I think the only real issue, I mean, if you were to ask me, is the filming of, filming of people in the workplace up close and personal into their face. Um, but your right in a democracy to protest, um, you know, should be protected. But the filming up close, uh, I think that probably is a little bit going too far. The place was swarming with Gardaí on Friday. Once the library staff protest left to march, the Gardaí left as well. So much for the far right being a dangerous bunch. Um, I note that your correspondent, John O'Donovan, was making a speech on Friday supporting those terrorising library staff. Strange that. Um, One other one here. Why do you constantly entertain the likes of John O'Donovan 
he's a bandwagon jumper, the greatest of all time. Once they agree with his sense of Christianity, he jump into bed with anyone, um, says Paul in Mayfield. But again, uh, you know, people are entitled to have a point of view. People are entitled to protest. You also forget that even though if John O'Donovan doesn't float your boat all of the time, he was front and central back in the day of the water charges protests. And that was a battle that was won by protesters. Either way, we're back after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, we're in a van this morning talking about the Tubbs Tribunal today. We reckon he's probably after getting a couple of lessons from acting coaches to prepare for the day and he'd probably be wearing his Christmas jumper too. Yeah, okay, you're entitled to that. I don't know if it's any kind of laughing matter. Uh, Some people say uh, you support Uh, Well, I can't read out the exact words they describe because it would be defamation, but you support Ryan Tuberty, do you? Good for you. All of you broadcasters stick together. Somebody else says, would you shut up? Tuberty brought all this to himself because he got greedy. He's not a victim here. Don't be trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. Um, That's not the case, actually. If you listen to what I said earlier on this morning, I said that I hope he acquits himself well this morning. I said words to the effect of he's going to have the fight of his life. Uh, to, um, you know, come out of this in, in one piece and get his career together and, and carry on with the rest of his life. Who wouldn't want, want that for somebody to have their opportunity to give their version of events? That's all. That's all. No more than that. Uh, if you're doing any competitions on air this morning, can you keep, please keep them till after 11 o'clock when I'll be the only one listening to your program. <laughs> Everybody else will be gone to a rockedist television all over the world. They're watching Oroctus television, believe me. Uh, Ryan Tuberty has a limited company, so he doesn't pay much tax. Well, that's one of the greatest misnomers I've ever heard of, that if somebody has a private company or a limited company, they don't pay much tax. It's the opposite is the case. Uh, can you ask the TDs or senators on these investigative committees who you interview to tell us how much extra a year they get for sitting on these committees? They're investigating Tuberty if he took a pay cut because of Varty's finances. But these are the same people who take pay rises when tens of thousands of people were out of work due to COVID restrictions. Well, fair play to you for reminding us of that. Never a truer word. Um, Neil, I know you've been talking about movies recently. I watched that film, The Sound of Freedom, last night. If you can watch the first five minutes, you'll be grand. Powerful. Well, I'm looking forward to it, but you're telling me that it's a tough watch, particularly at the start. So thank you for that. Text 0868104106. A lot of other texts and different topics over the past couple of days, which I will come back to throughout the course of the morning. But back to matters on Lee's side. And we've been covering a lot of them this morning. One of the stories actually has been bubbling away for about a year, maybe a little longer. And this is a portion of Bishop Lucy Park, which has been given. I mean, it was technically sold for a euro, but to be honest, with you. It was given. They, the, the Freemasons must pay the legal costs for the, um, for the transfer of the little bit of acreage. It's about 54 square metres, but it contravenes completely and utterly um, the rules and regulations of Cork City and Cork City Council. It goes against something that they could never ever do. Um, because it was written in law that they just could not do something like this. But they've done it nonetheless. And I gave you the vote. 18 councillors voted in favour. Seven voted against. Amongst those who voted in favour is the Fianna Fáil councillor Terry Shannon. He joins me by phone. Terry, good morning. Neil, good morning. How are you? Why'd you do it? Why are you giving away what's ours to a private, well, to, a, to a, a sexist private members club? A glorified well, boys I... club? 
Yeah, I don't know. Is the issue biodiversity or is the issue the Freemasons, Neil? I'm somewhat confused as to what the issue is, quite honestly. Well, it's a, it's I, because they need I, it to extend the back of the Masons' yeah, hall, Masonic so hall. I, like, yeah, and depending who you speak to, it's about the removal of trees and, the, and other people, it's about giving land to the Freemasons. No, I mean, I don't it know. It is about giving but, land to the Freemasons, Terry. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is disposals of property and of land that's in the ownership of the City Council are probably done at every council meeting. We dispose of land uh, for a euro in some cases, or more, depending on the... Like, we didn't have full title here, so that's why there, there, there was a euro. But we give land to sporting clubs, uh, community associations, you know, local residence groups. We, we do that all the time. There's nothing new in that respect. So I don't know what you're talking about in terms of what we're not allowed to do or where we're going against our own It is a, a material contravention true. of the development plan. Well, that wasn't here. That was done previously. Uh, and in terms of the development of Bishop Lucy Park, which we agreed a new plan for the park over two years ago in relation to the redevelopment of South Main Street and the plaza at the Counting House, those trees in that area was, were being removed anyway. I mean, remember the area you're talking about? I don't know whether you know it. It's left of the gate as you go in. Yeah. So they were rather unnourished-looking trees in a muddy patch that really doesn't get an awful lot of sun. So <laughs> as part of the redevelopment <laughs> of the park... What are you talking about? They're healthy trees, man. Are you a tree expert, Neil, or something that you can tell me that? Because that's not what we're being told. I mean, if you let me finish, uh, just to say it to you... As part of the development of the plan that we passed over two years ago, those trees were being removed. So it's not that they're being removed necessarily for this particular uh, uh, venture. Part of the plan for the park uh, and the redevelopment of the park is that these trees would be removed. I suppose you could so, put a robot tree in there to replace them, what do you think? Well, well, look, we can we can have a proper adult discussion on the deal, if you wish, or we can be silly about it, quite honestly. You know, the fact of the matter is... I don't think there's anything silly the about 450 grand's worth of robot trees. Perhaps you do. But it's for... No, yeah, no, but I, well, 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 it is. And, I mean, if you ask me to come on to talk about Bishop Lucy Park, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. But let's not divert over and other things and I mean I had no hand actor partner or agreed just as you mentioned with those whatever you call the trees the, the robot the trees, trees. Yeah. but anyway the bottom line here is you know the, the if you look at what we did over in the amenity walk in Black Rock we had to fell trees there to redevelop that whole area but 2,000 extra trees were put back in whether they were mature semi-mature or saplings and our, our tree officer has a, a plan to, to, to plant 4,000 Extra trees around okay. the city in the okay. next couple of years. I, I so don't dispute it, that. We're putting in more trees. Yeah, so let, let's, be, let's be clear about that. And I suspect if the Penny Dinners building, if the Penny Dinners were in this building, we'd have very little criticism of it. So there are kind of people but, who uh, but, know but little about not. the Freemasons, but, the, but are, yeah. it seems to be the Freemasons, right? And, you know, are they a private club? Yeah. The fact of the matter is we do we, we, we dispose of land to, to charitable organisations, to community groups, to sporting clubs, all the time to help develop. And in this instance, this is a very historic building that has been open to the public on culture night and is not safe. So there is no disabled access and there is no fire safety. Now, you know, we, we, we do want to nurture and look after our buildings. There's slates falling off buildings in that part of the city the whole time. North Main Street has been left to go rack and ruin. So we're trying to, to mm. deal with this building and we're being criticised for it. Why and not then, if, why then win, if you're giving you know it I mean? to the Grand Lodge of the Munster Freemasons, why not sell it to them for a reasonable amount of money and not well, a euro? The point I made to you, we don't, we don't have full title. That was the issue. 
we don't have full title to the, to, the, to the land because, as you might recall, Bishop Lucy Park was developed when there was a big fire in that area in, in I know, was it the 70s or the 80s, and uh, the, the buildings were not rebuilt. So there was a couple of buildings sitting on that site. So we don't have full title, so we're not in a position to sell it in that sense. And that, that was the issue there, you know. Um, okay. Now, let's be clear about what we're talking about. It's about, as you say, 54 square metres. It's not, as some people might allude to, half the park being given away. No, I know, I know that it's, it's a small and, amount. And it's about 1% of the area of the park, but it's, it's a matter of... Yeah, well, I think we need to be careful that we... Yeah, but well, we can't be absolutist, Neil. I mean, the very notion that you can't knock any tree... Um, for development. Well, I mean, it's, just not, it's not just about respect. the trees, though. It's important it's, that it, you replace what you a, do. And biodiversity is about replacing um, what we do in that sense. So, you know, so I, I, I'm confused as to, depending who you speak to, okay. it's an issue with the Freemasons. Just being an issue with the Freemasons, for instance, would there, would there be any obligation of city councillors to divulge um, as, as a matter of interest to the public whether they themselves are Freemasons? Um, yeah, if they're involved in this decision, yes, they should, yes, yes. And did any of yeah. them disclose that they are actually paid up members no. of the Freemasons? No, no, okay. no. No, no. Uh, I mean, you uh, like, for instance, I chaired the Bannerlock Community Association. So, uh, if we were getting extra land and getting more, uh, you know, stuff from the city council, I'd have to get up and say, "Listen, I'm chairman of the uh, the, the community association." But that didn't arise. There was nobody. They'd have a con- they'd have a conflict of interest. Yes. So yeah. are we to, are we to believe so engaged that- in the decision of the of of uh, when, when that decision was being made? Yeah. Okay, so we will assume then that everybody's honest enough and they would have declared it if it was the case that there were Masons. So the 18 amongst them, there would be men and women amongst that 18, none of them are members of the Freemasons. Well, I can't say that, Neil, but they certainly didn't declare it. I can only say it for myself, I'm not a Freemason. Okay, you you are not, nor never were, a member of the Freemasons. No, never were. And in fact, I have often meant to go into the building on Culture Night because I believe it is an exceptional tour to, to to, to take, but uh, I've never managed to get there. But no, I'm not. I'm not a. Okay. I'm not a Freemason. No, or, 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 nor am I a free plumber or uh, anything else. I okay. thought Freemasons were people that would build your boundary wall for free. You know, I don't know who the Freemasons are. <laughs> okay. It's worth the trip actually to go in and see the inside. Well, it is, of the and you see, uh, can, can and I that's just, the point yeah, that okay. we're making yeah, that what? if we we're asking the public or directing the public in, first of all, there has to be disabled access. And secondly, there has to be first. There is no fire escape in this building. So if we're but if, a retail, but if a retail shop, say for instance on Grand Parade or um, or maybe any area of the city needed um, access to uh, improving their lot and putting in um, disabled access and stuff like that, would City Council gift them property adjacent to where their retail business was? If City Council had property next to a retailer, we certainly would talk to them. Now, if we owned it uh, and had full title. They may have to pay for it, but if we didn't have full time, so why then? Okay, yeah. Uh, so you know, and that's so the, the reason the reason that the Masons got it is because nobody knows who owns it. Yeah, we, we don't have clear title. Okay. That, okay. That's the oh, issue. Oh. That's the one. That's the one. And look, we have done this in the past. I mean, we're doing nothing for the Freemasons that we haven't done for sporting clubs or, you know, community associations in the past. And okay, probably we'll but, do again. Uh, and but, if you look at the agenda 
of city council meetings, one of the very first parts of the end are disposals, you know. So that, and, and, uh, I think that's important to say. This isn't something that just okay. happened out of the blue. All right, just in, in, in an effort to have balance on both sides on this, I have Councillor Lorna Bogue joining me by phone. Lorna, good morning. You describe it as an elitist, sexist, private members club, a glorified boys club that wants a bigger clubhouse. Is that accurate? Uh, well, that was actually Councillor Brian McCarthy um, said that, but um, I suppose... Well, you did talk you... of it as a male-only private institution. Oh, yes, indeed. I mean, Councillor Shannon is um, sort of advising that, uh, you know, if people were members of the Freemasons on the council, that they would declare it. Now, of course, six of us cannot be members of the Freemasons because we're women, so we're not actually allowed to join, you know. You're, you're, yeah, because people may be confused. Mary Rose Desmond pointed out that women do have access, as in they can walk in the front door, but they can never be a Mason. No, so they could, we're, be, we're they could go in for a look around, equally. but they couldn't join. Yeah, well, it's it's very it's very old hat, isn't it? It's kind of like the way that women used to be put in snugs in pubs. Like, I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite. Uh, um, archaic, um, but I, I suppose my main concern really is just that um, it is a private organisation and it is an exclusionary organisation because, and it says on their own website, um, only men can join. Um, women can't join this organisation. So my issue was actually the gifting of this public space uh, for one euro to a private members organisation that excludes half of the population of Cork City. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, th- I think that um, Councillor Shannon has sort of introduced some um, red herrings into this um, particular conversation because, I mean, if you can sell something for one euro, you can sell it for one million euro. Uh, something um, to do with that, title, he said? Something to do with no. title? Were you aware of that? No, no, because you see, the thing is, is that we had to vote in the council um, to do this and to dispose of this land. So that being the case, um, a better negotiation could have been done, um, you know, like and it wasn't done. Um, So this land was gifted um, for one euro to a private members organisation. And that land previously was in the public park one of the only green spaces left in the city centre um, that everyone in the city had access to. So really, um, the main the main thing that we as a council should have been doing is that we should have been pushing in the opposite direction and upholding the use of that site against the Freemasons um, having, a, having private access to this social space. Because they're know. Freemasons or because it's city space? Which? Because it's city space. Um, now, on top of that, you know, like, not to, I, I actually don't really um, see any kind of conspiracy going on here. Like, it's it seems quite simple to me why the Freemasons have been granted this. Why? And have not, um, well, be, be, because um, it, it's, it's, it's basically just, like, I, I found the meeting kind of interesting last night because, and what Councillor Shannon is saying now, because he both knows a lot about the Freemasons and doesn't know anything about about the Freemasons. So all of the councillors last night were guffawing in the meeting about how they'd no idea who the Freemasons are, but then at the same time were lauding their contribution to the city and voting to gift them this land on that basis. And the message to people struggling out there who have now lost part of their park is that politicians bend over backwards for their chums and they care little about the public interest. 
Terry, do you want do you want to respond to that? that like what, what, well, she's, the, firstly, the, that you're, you're bending over backwards to, to your chums. I've listened to Marlon Bogue over many years as council, and I just wonder what planet she's living on. Quite honestly, I mean that's nonsense. The one councillor who got up and had a friend in the Freemasons spoke about the charitable works that, that they were doing. That was the only one. I certainly don't you, have But you claim to know absolutely in. nothing about the organisation and she's saying that other councillors like you who voted to give the land know nothing about an organisation that you've gifted land to. The well, secret handshakes, the, the fact that women well, can't join. I know the organisation that Lorna Bogue is associated with, this new Green Party, and but that's fine. I mean, I can't know everything about everybody. But I have no choice. Well, we're not gifting the Green Party the, anything here. Well, Does no, but like, Neil, so. I mean, like, I can't play in the women's soccer team. You know? So, uh, like, uh, men's sheds are bubbling up all over the place. Are we suggesting where we've given uh, both the city and the county land to men's sheds? That we should know to see mm, that there would be there would be reasons as to why, for instance, you wouldn't be playing on a women's soccer team and vice versa. Well, from yeah. Point of view of so fairness I mean, and as equity. I said last but night, there would be nothing in the white earthly world wrong in 2023 with women to be allowed to join the Masons. Well, well, Lee, but that's not a matter for me. You know, the point I make is: is this a matter about the Freemasons? Or is it to do with biodiversity? And depending on who you speak to, and Lorna seems to be in both camps, right? But Lorna has a, has, a, has an inferiority complex all the time, and that's just the way it is, and that's fair enough. Why would you say that? But, uh, well, because of, of as she's just said, she's accused me of having fawning to, to buddies in, in uh, like she has conspiratorial uh, uh, theories the whole time about things which really aren't the facts at all the fact of the matter is and she'll agree we do dispose Lorna, do you have a every do you day. take exception to being told you have an inferior can I finish Neil conflict? if you don't mind can I finish the point he was making right. if you don't mind uh, without interruption uh, you didn't interrupt Lorna I noticed uh, we do disposals every day, every every month at council meetings. You said that a few times already. Yeah, Ter. and and whether you know, we we do encourage particularly in sporting clubs to be all inclusive, but we're not we're not absolutists in that, right? And this is a matter of public safety, right? So that's why this was done. What the Freemasons do or don't do, who's in it and who's not in it, is of no concern to me. I know nothing about them. Women aren't in I'm it. not a member of them, right? But well, you, all do, I would do you not say think it's fair for a woman, as in Lorna Bogue, to argue the point that Freemasons don't allow women? And why well, yeah, don't absolutely, they allow women? Absolutely. But that's a matter for the free. It's not for me. We're talking about a, an historic building, whether that doesn't have... Um, disabled I understand. I understand. and doesn't have fire safety I understand. And, and clearly that needs to be rectified the best way to do it was what we did last night but getting into this, this business of okay. you know if, if women aren't allowed it shouldn't happen you know we have organisations that are exclusively women and we have organisations that are exclusively men and we try then and make sure that we have organisations yeah, that are I understand that in, 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 I understand and that in sporting parlance but in nothing else but though. men are allowed to collect meal they are allowed to assemble, you know what I mean, and have clubs. Yeah, they yeah. are, and women are too. So, but haven't we come, you know, haven't let, we come a long clear. way from that? Where as she says, women were in the snug of a pub and not allowed into the pub. Of women, we have. women were not we were, were for instance uh, not allowed to play golf or join golf clubs. All of that nonsense is gone. Is, shouldn't this be another one that should go? Lorna, do you take exception to being told you have an inferiority complex? Um, no, I don't particularly because I'm, I'm well used to this uh, from council meetings. This is how I'm spoken to um, at council meetings. Um, so this is just 
the normal run of things. And, what, um, and when you say this is how I'm spoken to at council meetings, how how would you describe that? Um, well, I mean, Ca- Councillor Shannon has, um, you know, said that I'm living on another planet, um, that I have an inferiority complex, that I think in conspiratorial ways, when all I am saying is that, uh, you know, we have decided to sell um, or gift um, a piece of public land that everyone had access to that was the city's land for the people, the People's Park. Um, And we have given that to a private organisation that now he says he doesn't know anything about um, and uh, that has exclusionary membership rules. Um, and that is now in private hands. So it doesn't belong to the people anymore. But it belongs to this small organisation um, that um, doesn't doesn't include um, people in its membership. Okay, and that, okay. that for us as a civic um, body is uh, not a good thing to have done. But he, he, he says you, you can't rock into a men's shed, for instance. Um, well, I, I think that that's another red herring um, on the part of um, Councillor Shannon because, you know, I'm of course supportive of the work that men's sheds do and we as a council do facilitate men's sheds, um, you know, so if, if men want to congregate, that's fine. But we're not selling land to men's sheds for them to keep in perpetuity um, or, you know, we're not, we're not doing that. Like city, we're city Council does space, give, does give uh, sections of properties or areas of lands to organisations like that and has done in the past to, um, you know, propagate good mental health for men and, you know, things like that. I mean, it has happened that we have gifted land in the past. I mean, is, is, there, anything, is there anything wrong with men having a place to go where just men go, Lorna? Um, well, if they're taking a section of public park to do that, um, that means that people don't have access to it anymore. Then, yes, that that is a problem, um, and we we should we shouldn't, as a local authority, have done that. Um, you know, like I I think I think it really is the the fact that like this wasn't necessary to do um, and that the accessibility and fire safety issues could have been resolved within the footprint of the building um, and that that has not been done and instead we have given a part of one of the only green spaces in the city that everyone has access to um, to this organisation. Do you think that there should be a disclosure at the next council meeting as to how many members of council, male members of councils are themselves Freemasons? Well, they, uh, as Councillor Sh- Shannon said, they, they should have declared that before um, we took the vote. So um, th- th- that should have been declared. Yeah, but it wasn't. But they were ne- neither were they no. asked. Do you think that male council members should be asked? Well, you see, it's uh, like, yes, I, I think I think on the basis of the, this decision, yes, they should be asked. But um, like not to get into a, a Niall Collins kind of uh, territory here, but you're supposed to declare it without being asked even, you know, so. OK, we'll see where this one runs. Thank you both, Terry Shannon. And, and, Neil, and Neil, can I just say, Lauren is right there. I mean, it's not a case of after the fact, it's the case of before the fact. So those, I mean, if someone didn't engage in the vote, they don't need to make a declaration, do you know what I mean? And just in relation mm. to down to there, I mean, I have accused male members of having inferiority complexes and living in different planets as well. So it's not, it's not just at Lorne. Not, 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 not on this programme uh, of a Tuesday morning, you didn't, you? Well, I think I have. I've had debates with other councils over the years, Neil, and we've had it hot and heavy. 
I worry, though, for the future of a couple of organisations who will be coming to City Council who are... There are a number of men's sheds coming, and I... I yeah, where, where, you, where keep going on about, you, you keep going on well, about men's sheds, but the, the Freemasons yeah. could be described as a clandestine organisation, or at least they well, are by I a tax that, But all, the point I'm making is it's our job to foster community groups and, and organisations and to help people and and to, you know, not be absolutist in terms of the development of our city. Uh, and I don't know whether... Well, you could say we're happy to help you when you have an organisation that's welcome to both sexes. And we do that all the time, Neil. Yeah. Uh, we okay. do that all the time. OK, know? OK, appreciate it. Well, Thank you both. I mean, Neil, sorry, Neil, I, I, sorry I, I do just have to say, like, I find it really strange, like, with all of the good work that men's sheds do, that Councillor Shannon is comparing them to the Freemasons. Like, I just, I'm just going to leave it at that. OK, but, like, Thank I, you both. I, I, and again, that's not what I'm doing. I'm making the point that if you're absolutist in the sexist, in the sexes in terms of clubs, men's sheds and other women's organisations like the ICA and those would be in difficulty if they came to us under your yeah, none of them would be secret societies with secret handshakes for which only men can well, join. Well, uh, well, but that's well, the point that was being made by Lana Bog is that they're exclusive uh, and not that they're private. So we just need to be careful that we're not absolutist in what we're doing. Our job as a local authority is to try and facilitate everybody and to do so in a balanced way. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful sure thing if the, if the Masons facilitated everybody? Well, said, maybe then, maybe, everyone. Neil, why don't you get some of them to come on your programme? Okay, okay. I'm sure certain. they're very, if, if they have a website, I think they have a, there is a local chapter and there is a local, I don't know what he is, chairman. I will take that under advisement and get in touch yeah. with them. Thank you for that. I, I certainly sure. will. Yeah. I certainly okay. will. Lorna Bogue, independent councillor, Terry Shannon, Fianna Fáil councillor on the um, Bishop Lucy Park gifting of a portion of it. Let me stay with this if you don't mind for a while. John, sorry, I know you've been waiting a long time. Your thoughts on all of this? Uh, it should be online too. John Cuthbert, John, can you hear me? Oh, I can, Neil. Yeah, uh, you probably went asleep much, waiting. My apologies. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, there's no problem. Uh, and thanks very much for, for calling me in on this most important thing. Uh, I was listening there to Terry, and uh, well done on Lorna Bog. Uh, she's, she's doing a great job for for the environment and for biodiversity and for, for, bring, for bringing people's attention to things that matter. Um, but I, I come back to Terry there and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry uh, with the first comment from Terry um, in, when he said he didn't know, he didn't understand whether this was about biodiversity or Freemasonry. Terry, this is about your people. This is about taking land from the people of Cork City. I, I'm really angry about it because if 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 you take Stevens Green in Dublin, if anybody went near or proposed taking land from the people of Dublin and Stevens Green, there would there would be a riot. You uh, think? Riot, you think? Yeah. There was riot. Sorry. You think there would be? There would, well, there'd be a lot of trouble. I believe. Uh, I mm-hmm. believe the people of Dublin appreciate Stevens Green. There's even a song about it. Neil, we need, we probably should have a song about Bishop Lucy Park as well in Cork. But I, 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 I think it's totally out of the park and its value, and it's probably its future value even more than now to the people of Cork, in my opinion, is totally underestimated. But well, if, like if it was say, a million euro and not one euro that it was given to them for, for whatever reason, they talk about not being having clear title. I, I don't know whether there's yeah. anything sinister yeah. in that or I don't know how truthful that is, but if it was a million euro, would it make a difference? 
It wouldn't make a tack of difference, people, uh, Neil. This belongs to the people of Cork. I'm really angry. First of all, Neil, I have to say, no, um, I don't know what the Freemasons' um, opinion of the people of Cork is, but to take their land, it's 53 square metres, with, with a zigzag plan for uh, an It's not theirs, to... it's not the councillors to give away, you're saying? It's not the city councils to give to propose it. They're, they've totally left us down. But it's certainly, Neil, not the city councillors' uh, um, prerogative to give away our lands like that uh, to to any organisation. And I t- uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Freemasons, Neil, here on the programme. And, and I understand where Lorna is coming from. They do not allow women in. I think there has been one one woman uh, ever a member of the Freemasons. Open Donnerill House, yes, yes, yes. That's yes, right, but yeah. that's, that's really not my issue. My, my, my issue is I wouldn't care whether it's the Vatican itself. I wouldn't care whether it was NASA, Neil. This land belongs to the people of Cork. You describe them, it's, you use the word clandestine, and the meaning of clandestine is to keep secret or to do something secretly. Um I don't think I used the word clandestine. I just see in the text here that you say the people of Cork have done absolutely nothing to stop a piece of rare public park being given away to a clandestine organisation. Perhaps they're not your words, but they're being attributed to you. My apologies if they're not. No, no, definitely I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cast any aspersions whatsoever on the Freemasons. I'm sure they're doing great work. They have loads of charities going. I've no problem. My problem is Neil, how dare they think they can take land from the people of Cork? How dare they? And I, I would ask the people of Cork, in their submission, Doctor, uh, can I can I name name someone who's mentioned on the live echo? Um, is it councillor? One of their one of their members uh, who, who made a comment. But anyway, they did it. They did seemingly. This was all very done, very sub underhand, in my opinion, w- between the city council and, and the Freemasons. But they, they, in their submission, they looked at the piece of land and they brought in horticulturalists and uh, to look at it and uh, landscape architects. And they said this particular piece of land was not particularly fertile. Yeah. It was, uh, and the trees were not growing in the manner that they would be expected. Well, I suppose they would say that, wouldn't they? They would say that, and I, I how dare! Like, I'm, I, 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 I'm sick of saying how dare. But I went down, uh, I went down there on Saturday, Neil, myself, to have a look at this particular infertile piece of land. It was ten o'clock Saturday morning, sun was shining. How I are the trees? They're, they're beautiful, Neil. They're they're growing birch trees. They're, they're birch trees. There's fifteen of them. They're in shade, and the land may be particularly fertile, but they're growing straight as an arrow nail. They're climbing up, and at this stage now, Neil, they've right, they've topped over the four stories of the Freemasons' building. They sound to me they're, as if they're, they're thriving. They, they are, and the leaf canopy is beautiful. And when I went there, Neil, but they're going to be all cut down now. It's 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 a in, Cork City declared a biodiversity crisis in a few years ago, and it's very sad. And I know this new tree ecologist. I don't know is it a, a man or a woman, but I've heard that they're very good and they're planting trees. But it is an unfortunate thing that this tree ecologist is now going to have to spend his or her time supervising the destruction of these okay. beautiful trees. Okay, and just finally and on just this, ask- this area, this area, does that mean that the Chernobyl Memorial has been taken out as well? My understanding is it's going to be moved, Neil. They're moving the Chernobyl Memorial to facilitate the land for the Masons. Okay. Like, 
I okay. would just, could I just say one more thing, Neil, if you don't mind? I would ask the people of Cork, the people of the estates in Glasheen, in Toker, uh, where their, uh, their, their councillors voted to give away, I would ask the people in Mayfield, in Gronabraher, in Churchfield, in the Glen, in Blackpool, to go to, once they're finished with Mr. Tuberty today, uh, because I know that's probably more important to a lot of people, but once they're finished with Mr. Tuberty, I would like them to go down to the park. Go down and look at what they're taking away from us. Okay, okay. Uh, and, 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 and I think a vigil also should be held down there at some stage to mark what, what, what the city council and our councillors are doing. Okay, thank you for that. Passionate words. Thank you, John Cuthbert. Text 0868-104-106 after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. The irony isn't lost to me with the text that says the Masons will make much better use of that piece of land than the drug heads do that use it already. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868-104-106. I'm going to stay with this for another couple of minutes uh, and come back to more texts from earlier this morning but Keith thanks for holding good morning morning Nick uh, your thoughts on this uh, you're up to speed on exactly what's happened what do you make of it uh, well look I'm, I'm listening in like everybody else is listening and look there's a fairness in it to, to, you know and in, in, in fairness to, uh, to everyone I suppose but given the, the Freemasons credit like they're involved in a lot of good work around the city not as well. Dis- that's not disputed no they do a lot okay. of charitable work okay. yeah. And, yeah. And, and to not, not forget Patrick's, Patrick's Bridge that they would have you know laid a cornerstone in that maybe 160 years ago yeah. going forward um, I suppose people should be more involved in um, the decision making of us um, maybe there should be some kind of a judicial review uh, put to a panel and um, talk about it and see what ways uh, it, it, it prevails from there. Like, there's lots of ways around um, this confrontation, I suppose. Uh, as well, it's, it's, fair, it it's quite straightforward. Should they have done it, yes or no? Look, in hindsight, it's always 2020, Neil. No, they shouldn't. And maybe looking at other countries where they have, like, steel girder frames on Tucky Street um, up to recent, I don't know, is it still there? Across the road, there's a Christian centre there. There was a, a, um, a kind of a retaining uh, frame there for a while because the building, I think, was subsiding. Like, maybe they can look at something like an external um, frame for access, uh, access um, purposes, like what they're having with space. She wants yeah. to get her spoken as well. But yeah. like you maybe maybe they can look at that Neil and putting something in place in the front of the building rather than taking away the space that's already As in if they have a problem inside. with access it's their problem, not ours, is it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That said that said, Neil, I mean, you know, no not taking anything away from the Freemasons in fairness to them, they do a lot of good work as I said, but they do I mean like, surely, they, they do a lot of charitable work, but it's a male only um organization. It's yeah. private in that regard. And they do an awful lot of good work, but we all know of the stories of the, the secret handshakes, right? And the exactly, and the private yeah, deals yeah. and members looking out for each other and they're saying yeah. that if you if you got up in front of if you were a Mason and you were up before a, Ma- a Masonic judge, you'd be looked at very well as opposed to someone who wasn't a Mason, these kind of things, well, you know? Maybe that's right. I don't know I don't know the the, the, the dynamics behind their, their their secret society. But maybe women should get more involved and have a, 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 like a counteracting movement like a women's only uh, Mason's Lodge as well. I mean, if that's the case, you know, leave that role. But 
going back to going back to the the, 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 the I mean, you, I mean, I mean you, lo- you love your city right you clearly do, I do you know course, a lot yeah. about it and so you know Vernon Mount House the irony wasn't lost on me earlier on it's rather hypocritical that they will now call that pedestrian bridge Vernon Mount Bridge right okay. uh, but yeah. yes City Council had numerous opportunities over the year to take over Vernon Mount House right which goes back to the early wow. 1700s they never bothered they knew that there was dilapidation there they knew that there was anti-social behaviour there there were mm. fires being lit and they knew that exactly. sooner or later it would be destroyed and it was destroyed and they did nothing about it but yet they bend over and now they call it after a building that's actually just a ruin now um, but it equally they all had an opportunity to allow a hotel to go in there they said no to all of that on board Planola wouldn't have it so it fell into rack and ruin now they call a bridge in its memory but yet they bar- yeah. bend over backwards for a private organisation like the Masons and give away public land. Yeah, exactly. And the other side of that, Neil, the history with Vernon Mount as well. I mean, there was a, there had been thousands of races up there down through the years with scrambling motorcycles and there was actually a push bike um, um, race up there another time. And there was yeah, they're still there, the Monster Motorcycle and Car Club, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, I mean, they, they, can, they cannot be forgotten either. I mean, we have to remember, you know, that that's bringing a part of uh, culture to the city as well and enjoyment. I mean, we need to expand, not contract. I mean, you look at Bishop Lucy Park, it is a very small little park and it's in the heart of the city. You look at all the tour guides around the city, they bring them down to Patrick Street, they walk down onto Grand Parade, they stop outside the old gates, they look in, they give them the history of the gates, they look at the upside down um, turned cannon there by um, Bill and Bob's, it was called before, which is Hillbillies now. Look down onto the lodge down Tucky Street, look down on the Oliver Plunker Street, the Berwick Fountain. I mean, there's a lot of history around there. We don't need to be kind of defacing that that history. We need to, you know, work with it and modernise it. But as per se, going into the park and putting some kind of a steel, steel erection inside her, I mean, look, it probably would be in compliance with I suppose the environment as such but if they're taking ground mass away then it, obviously it's making the park smaller yeah. and with the yeah. trees and stuff being affected I think, it's, I think it's what it signifies more than anything else yeah. isn't it well yeah well look there's that side of it as well you look at the electronic tree down outside Murray's there on Patrick Street Neil it's an eyesore at the moment. I don't know who's maintaining, but but there's lights in underneath it, like LED lights that are falling down onto the ground. Yeah, sure, that it's wouldn't surprise me. You go me. down, you look, you look at the costing now running that every year, right, coming out of the taxpayers' money. We don't need to be funding any more taxpayers' bills going forward, taking into account with the RT team that's coming on this morning, which I'm bearing in mind. There's not in 10 minutes, I want to watch that. All right, man, I'll but let you get on. The other side of it, the other side of it is, you know, you'd look at, you'd look at all those things that are, that, that are being neglected <laughs> around the city and then they're firing money into Bishop Lucy Park. Yeah. Is there any point me being on the air after 11 this morning, do you think? Is the whole world going to be what, turning? Neil? Yeah. I think you should get some fresh scones and some uh, some cream in and and have your have your tea and sit down and take off the old shoes and relax and watch it because I'd say everybody would be watching this this morning or right. tuning in okay. and listening to okay. us. Okay, okay. I don't know what side of the bridge you're from, pal, but we say scones, not scones. Well, it's scones or scones, yeah, it all depends. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm keep... from the south side, south side originally, born and raised. <laughs> okay. Good Cheers, luck. Neil. Good luck. Text eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Earlier this morning, the Tusla sexual abuse of minors. Um, at the hands of predatory men. The group of men grooming these girls are not Irish. They are from overseas. I've seen it myself. This is the exact same scenario as the rape gangs in the UK. Not that you will read out this text. If you are willing to discuss the perpetrators and their backgrounds, perhaps we could avoid mass rapes of young 
Irish girls. I have read it out, but I can't actually, I can't, I can't actually identify somebody by their race or their background because clearly that would be offensive to all people of race and background. You do mention them in your text, but I imagine people are smart enough to be able to work out for themselves who you're suggesting they are, who you are suggesting they are. Uh, ask your guest who these men are. An obvious question, I would think. Um, another few, yeah, That's the problem, you see. You, you get into all sorts of grief if you pick out um, a, a nation or a religion and you go after them bald-headed without any proof. It's just not fair. But as I say, you're smart enough to be able to work out what people are saying by reading between the lines. Can you ask where these groomers are from, as in, are they Irish or are they non-nationals? Morning, Neil. Um, State organisations do not care. My daughter got raped last week after running away from care. Tusla do not take anything seriously, especially these children's welfare. They would rather lie their way through the courts than be honest and save children. The stuff that's going on would scare the nation. Thank you for that text. I, I actually can't take any more information from you because of the Child Care Act that would in some way or shape or form identify your daughter. I'm precluded from doing that. But thank you for the part of the text that I did manage to read out. Uh, what do we know about these so-called men? Are they a disparate group or are they an organised group? If they are organised, how are they organised? And what connections do they have to each other, these men? Is it a familial connection? Is it a professional connection? Is it a religious or cultural connection? Are these men all are the one nationality or are they many nationalities? These are important questions that deserve answers and the people of Ireland have the right to know the truth, says Richie. None of those questions were actually answered in the actual report itself. And just two more. If these men are known by any state body, uh, why are they not acting on the information? Um, finally, I love the way you call these young people vulnerable, yet but yet believe that at their age... They're able to make decisions about their gender and can read books only appropriate for adults. Well, thank you for throwing me into a camp that you believe I belong in. Thank you for that. Uh, did you want, did you want, did I, is there some clarification needed? Do you want Sorry, to just very quickly, just I know we've seen, seen those texts come in. I did actually, because obviously we do a bit of work with the people that come on beforehand, actually with that, trying to get a bit more information. And I was speaking to uh, Mary, Mary Canning, Dr. Mary Canning. And look, she was just saying, like, the report doesn't really deal with the nationalities we're hearing about the experience of the children we're hearing about what's happening in Tusla we're hearing about the responsibilities of Tusla she says obviously Tusla staff don't know the identities they don't know the nationalities of these men you know as far as they were concerned they were boyfriends or whatever partners of the the, the children that are the children well, they, they, yeah, they, they say they don't know but they, they, they could look out doors and windows and they, 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 they could, could pick up on a theme or a pattern they, well, I asked her about specifically about the nationalities of the victims and their, uh, I suppose, those people who are... Not the victims, acts. but the perpetrators. Both both victims and yeah. perpetrators. And she said did, that wasn't something that, that came up in the report. Um, I would imagine investigating Gardy should have that information. But again, remember when we were a few weeks ago trying to get the identity of and the nationality of, of the amount of people who commit crimes in this country, there was none of those records were taken. We asked the CSO for that information. They didn't have it. So it seems that nationalities of perpetrators isn't something that's recorded in, in, in crime statistics. 
politics so unfortunately without the information we just you couldn't possibly go down that road because you're essentially totally speculating about what some people think they've seen well the problem is you end up going down the the route of of potential hate crimes and and, and that's that's something you'd need evidence for before you'd ever give out information like that you'd have to be accurate about it if we had the statistics though it would have been something that we would have spoken well statistics you can't argue with okay thanks for that Kevin text 0868104106 get it off your chest Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. I hope to run the audio portions live of what uh, Ryan Tuberty has to say in the next hour and also Noel Kelly, and I'm hoping that that will work out because not everybody will have access to a television this morning because they may well be working or radio is great to be able to listen and do other things at the same time. Uh, so if you think that um, I'm not going to be going back to it, I will. So hopefully at least someone will stay listening between 11 and midday uh, today because there's an awful lot of interest in it uh, and it's all I, you know not, I won't even go into the, the whole aspect of, of rubbernecking or you know anybody taking any glee or enjoyment out of somebody else's misery or difficulty but I, I hope he's able to answer the questions and I hope he's able to get through it and I hope that it's credible and then we can see what happens after that I was talking earlier on this morning about the uh, RT staff aspect of this and Kevin Backhurst has said as to whether Ryan Tuberty will ever broadcast say on RT again it's as much about what he says today this morning and this afternoon but it's also as much as to do with the uh, RT staff as to whether they would actually welcome him back and I think the next six hours from 11 this morning until 6 this afternoon to the two three hour committees will dictate his future, I think, very much so. So that's after 11 this morning. But just a quick shout-out, if you don't mind. I want to say best of luck to Kaylee Tynan, who's taken part in the Locks of Love hair donation fundraiser that's happening today. Now, Kaylee's only 13 and will be getting her gorgeous long red hair cut in Middleton tomorrow. Her hair will be used to make wigs for young people experiencing the devastating effects of hair loss due to illness. Now, it's a wonderful thing because she's raised 2,275 euro already and all the money raised will go towards Laura Lynn Ireland's Children's Hospice and you can still donate to Kaylee's fundraising page on idonate.ie and everybody here wants to wish her the very best of luck. Well done uh, Kaylee for your involvement in Locks of Love and your donation fundraiser. Fair play to you. Well reared girl. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we're back after 11. Now Prenderville Show, Red FM. And more opportunities this hour to win for yourself some of our wonderful family passes to all sorts of different tourist attractions across the city and county. And I remind you, don't forget to download the Explore Cork app. It's a fabulous app, the tourism app. It's a one-stop shop with 850 places to see and things to do in Cork. So it's well worth downloading the app if you're going exploring over July or August or indeed whenever. So today we have family passes to give away for Monkey Maze in Glasgow. Meyer, the largest indoor activity centre and party venue for kids in Cork. Four levels of adventure play, mazes with tunnels and slides and balloon cannon, ball cannon, cannons and lots more besides. So I'll tell you more about it just before midday when we open the phone lines to give away four family passes from Monkey Maze in Glanmire. Text 0868104106. We're back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106.
Cork's Red FM. Hey, do us a favour, give us a massive shout out to my mother-in-law, Jeanette O'Leary, to be fair, man. She's top-notch and always looks after us. We love her dearly. That's my daughter Anne, son-in-law Niall and grandson Josh. She's turning 71 and by God she's well able. Here's to many more. That's a very good shout-out request for a birthday. Well done. Uh, back to all the texts from this morning and I, I will get to the Ryan Tuberty audio in a, in a few minutes' time. Do you not see the glaring irony of your interviewing someone this morning who's exposing the sexual abuse of children in care yet criticising the people that are highlighting the paedophile being the paedophilia being force fed to children in our libraries and our schools says Dara and Blarney but again I think you're misrepresenting the state of play here I never criticise people to have a right to protest never did I would defend their right to be heard you don't always agree with what people say, but they have a right most of the time anyway to say it. I think one of the issues that I had, and I, and I, I mean, I said it, is that I would be uncomfortable with somebody filming um, with a mobile phone in somebody's workplace up to their face and then sharing it on social media. That's all. That doesn't take from their right to be bothered by the book. This book is gay. Uh, lots then on Bishop Lucy Park and the gifting of it to the Freemasons, which I will come back to throughout the course of the morning. I promise you that. But one other topic of conversation from recently was this book is gay. And of course, we, we, you can connect actually sex education and the ignorance of sex amongst minors um, and also the manipulation of young children by groomers and paedophiles and sex offenders like we were talking this morning. So does that make it important that there's sexual education in primary school? Textra says, I'm a firm believer that curiosity kills the cat. If you tell your child about something enough times, they will get curious. Being innocent and uneducated can lead to a lot of issues. Kids have no use for their sexual organs until they're at legal age, Neil. My kids are told that their privates are go- for going to the toilet and that babies come out of your belly button. Uh, my kids are told that, a texter says. You have to keep our children innocent. I think sex education should start in sixth class. The only things we should be making our kids aware of is paedophilia and those kind of things. We must protect them, not educate them in sex. That is just horrible. Here's another one. Leave kids be kids. What is the big rush to fill primary school kids with this nonsense? This world has gone totally bonkers. Anything seems to be accepted these days. Morning, my children are in their 20s now and they were shown that in sixth class as well, uh, as in the type of books we're talking about. Really? Even, um, you're talking about, say, 15 years ago? Uh, Where is parental consent in all of this? Teaching our children this without consulting with parents is, I believe, a step too far. And a final one, my kids in my son's class have phones at the age of seven. I'm totally against it, but can't stop other kids learning things online and then telling my kids about it. At least in school, he's learning correct information in a safe place. I'd love to keep him a child for as long as possible, but unfortunately, society is moving too fast. I'd rather he learns in schools and books rather than online. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868 I told you yesterday uh, about the uh, Noonan's Road protest uh, where they went to City Hall. I saw some photographs online last night of city councillors coming out to meet them. Amongst them uh, was the Lord Mayor who listened to what they have to say. Um, of course, it, what they have to say is the chronic living conditions that they're living in as tenants of Cork City Council. Here's some of the audio from yesterday afternoon. Well, you're right, right to see a few old and two of the tenants. And then what will happen is uh, the only counts and the councillors will That's walk Tommy in Gould. and they will hand 
We have petitioned over to uh, uh, a member of management to talk to the council to bring to the council. So, William, did you want to say a few words as the chairperson of the group? It is public knowledge that the landlord, Coxley Council, choose to fail in their estate management duties year after year. Shame on you. Well, now, Coxley Council, you, are, you have a statutory obligation to protect tenants' health and well being. No more excuses. Housing is a prime example of social detriment of health as it influences and is influenced by structural detriments such as social, macroeconomic and public policies, politics, edu education, income, ethnicity and race, all intersecting to shape the health and well-being of all populations. As Martin Lee himself goes, everybody should have a home, a dignified place, call your own. See the residents want that shit and will not settle for any more broken promises or pledges which are leading to years of exposure to poor social housing conditions with negative impacts on our social and emotional and overall health. All tenants have rights. Cork City Council, protect your tenants now. <laughs> That's a meeting, there'll be a, a local area council meeting to be arranged on this issue alone um, and to organise a walk of the area concerned by uh, local councillors. Um, if they're local, they should know it already, I suppose. There'll be a survey completed. Uh, I think the survey of the flats is completed and the review will be studied um, with regards to being available by September and plans should become clearer at that stage. This is July, it's not too far away. Management have agreed to keep in communication with the residents group going forward with updates and the housing uh, committee will meet um, in October to discuss the report um, and we'll you know, move forward from there. It doesn't say anywhere in there as to whether or not it will be knocked or uh, they'll be moved out, or they'll be refurbed or knocked and rebuilt. It's not, it's not necessarily um, uh, anywhere near conclusion now, but at least with the public and the residents of the area having their voices heard, it will push matters along for them. So an update on that, but I want to go back to what's happening this morning at the Public Accounts Committee uh, and you have questions uh, this morning. The questions will start very soon with regards to 
um, what uh, Ryan Tuberty has to say and questions that need to be answered and his agent Noel Kelly as well. Uh, but um, Ryan Tuberty has issued his audio statement to the PAC committee um, and it's fairly heavy hitting now and it's it's quite damning in many respects uh, uh, certainly with regards to uh, RTE's version of events. This is what Ryan Tuberty has just said. In the importance of public service um, I was brought up that way and I have great respect for the Oireachtas as an institution. Uh, I've come here, as as you know, voluntarily because I believe in the work that you as a committee are doing. I don't say that in any other way other than that I want to assist in every way I can. I appreciate that you'll have a lot of questions, so I'm going to try to keep my opening statement as short as possible. Uh, I begin by clearly and unambiguously at the very outset this morning uh, state that, that I'm truly sorry for all of this and for any part which I have played. And uh, be it consciously or unconsciously, and anything that has contributed to the debacle that, that we're dealing with today. Uh, I'd like to apologise to the committee that they've had to put, take this time to deal with this matter today, and to my colleagues in RTE, and to my listeners. So, given the events of the last three weeks, there is a lot that I wish to uh, say, and there's a lot that I need to say. So, please bear with me. My aim today is to help correct and clarify some very serious matters and I'll be relying on my agent Noel Kelly here to go through the figures and provide greater detail. Uh, I'd like everybody here today to understand that the figures and statements presented by RTE over the last few weeks in relation to my remuneration have created a fog of confusion. A fog of confusion over what I was paid and when I was paid and what I knew and when I knew it. Full transparency and disclosure on RTE's part I'm sorry to say, would simply have avoided so much of this. And I'm here to do one thing and one thing only, ladies and gentlemen and and, and committee members, and that is to set the record straight and to call out some untruths. And it is my belief that there are seven material untruths that I'd like to address. And the first is as follows. This claim that I did not take a pay cut from RT in 2020. This is not true. I took a 20% pay cut from RT in my 20 to 20 to 2025 contract. Simple as that. I took a 20% pay cut from RTE. I'm obliged to do and present 205 radio shows and 38, as it was then, live two-hour late, late shows under this contract. I am what's called an independent contractor. I get no pension or entitlements from RTE. That's the nature of it. Under the terms of my contract, I'm allowed to do additional work outside of RTE. That's also the nature of it. And I stress that there is nothing morally, ethically, or legally wrong with me or any independent contractor doing additional work for another client outside of RTE. But to be clear, I took a pay cut from RTE of 20% in 2020 for each of the five years of my contract at a cost of €525,000 to me over the length of that contract. It's an awful... I'll move on to my second untruth. The suggestion that my decision to retire from the Late Late Show was prompted by this whole debacle. This is... Not remotely true. I wasn't aware of any of this fiasco when I decided to retire from the Late Late Show. I made my initial decision to leave the Late Late Show pretty much a year ago. It was very personal. It was made in the heart and in the soul. Around this time, I mentioned it to those closest to me, my family and my agent and and, and a few others, and they were surprised. They were very surprised. Why would you leave such a show? And I explained to them, and eventually brought them around to my way of thinking, that among other things, I had left a lot of me on the floor in the studio 
after COVID and during COVID, I was burnt out, being honest with you, and I was exhausted. A lot of people in this country, as you know, were burnt out and exhausted after COVID, doing a lot more important jobs than I was doing, but I'm just telling you from where I'm coming from. So I turned it over in my mind over a few months, but by the time I got to January, there was no turning over in my mind. I knew it was time to go. I made the decision. And just, just to, to make it abundantly clear, there is zero connection between my departure and this very raw situation of recent weeks. I informed management on March 13th of this year. I first became aware of this Grant Thornton review in May, some two months later, and even then I had no inkling of the bombshell which was to come when RT released their statement on June 22nd. The third untruth is that I was covertly or secretly overpaid by RT. This is not true. I was not overpaid by RT at any point. I fully accept I am very, very well paid. I understand that. But I was fully paid in accordance with my contract, which my agent, agent negotiated openly and honestly and in good faith. There are no overpayments. Now, there are RT's under declarations, which we challenged them on back in 2020. And there are indeed RT's over declarations of which they actually paid me in 2020 and 2021. This has caused justifiable anger among my colleagues. I understand that. And we're going to deal with all of that in the next few hours. And indeed the next six hours or more will stay for as long as it takes. The upshot of RT's inaccurate declarations is an impression that I have been less than honest. This is not the case. The fourth untruth is that I was aware that RT were trying to conceal payments to me. This is not true. I was not aware that RTE were concealing payments to me. RTE acknowledged this in their statement of June 22nd, 2023, when they stated that Grant Thornton had made no findings against me. The fifth untruth, there was a secret agreement with Renault that I tried to conceal. This is not true. But not only that, it bears belief. Think about it. I had a separate commercial agreement with Renault, the basis of which was that I would make public appearances and perform roadshows and things for them. And the work that I've done for Renault is all over social media. The suggestion that was a secret makes no sense. The sixth un untruth that Ortiz's underwriting of Renault's payment obligations was a secret. This is not true. Ortiz's underwriting of Renault's payment obligations was not a secret, as the documents we've prepared for you today show. And as my agent will explain in more detail, RTE committed in February 2020 to provide this guarantee in the early stages of contract negotiations around my 2020 to 25 contract. This is unequivocally confirmed in an email dated critical document 20th of February 2020 from Breda O'Keefe to my agent. It was copied to other members of the executive board, the director general, the RTE solicitor's office, everyone in RTE who needed to know knew. You'll find this on page 10 of the booklet of documents you have in front of you. Far from being secret, it was well known. And finally, the seventh untruth that I did not ask RT about their under declarations of my earnings. When they released the 2017, 18 and 19 earnings, as they did all in one day, January 20th, 2021. This is a question I did not ask at the time. This is a question I should have asked. I fully, fully accept that. But I will try and explain briefly and as clearly as humanly possible. 
At the end of the 2015 to 20 contract, my agent advised me that I was entitled to a phenomenally large figure payment of 120,000 euro that has been variously called a loyalty or an end of contract or a, an exit payment. I did not invoice for that payment, I did not pursue that payment and I did not receive any payment. The documents provided to you bear this out. In my simple view, I had foregone that payment for €120,000, not taken it. But because of how RTE reported that decision in their accounts, the narrative of the last three weeks has been that not only did I take this payment, but that I somehow contrived to hide it. So let me reiterate, I actually waived my entitlement to this payment and I didn't receive one cent of it. I hid nothing. I had nothing to hide. As the evidence provided to you today shows, my agent had already pointed out to RTE in 2020 that we thought the manner in which they were planning to account for my earnings in 2017, 18 and 19 was incorrect and we had understood that they accepted our position so that by the time they released the figures, I assumed that the chief financial officer, the financial professionals in RTE and the external auditors who had audited the accounts in these years, 17, 18, 19, had accountancy reasons for accounting for it the way they did. So I'd like to add that my company earnings fully reflect what I earned in these and all subsequent years. I'm particularly upset and disappointed about the decision and framing of the RT statement of June 22nd, which inextricably linked my name to this whole fiasco. My name was mentioned 15 times in that statement. 15 times. And I was not consulted once. I did not have the Grant Thornton report, which RT had, and which RT acknowledged made no findings of wrongdoing on my part. I asked RT to clarify that this was the case. They did. Four days, four days after much of the, da much of the damage was done, pretty much all of the damage was done. I signed a contract in good faith. I declared my earnings. I paid every cent of tax. My employer has acknowledged that it has engaged in deceptive practices to pay me practices that were hidden from me. The result, I'm nearly finished, forgive me for overgoing. The result of this is that I've become the face of a national scandal. I've been accused of being complicit, deceitful and dishonest. I think the statement of June the 22nd was very unhelpful in this regard. The full truth was concealed. I take full responsibility. I can't say it enough. I take full responsibility for not asking more questions back on January the 20th, 2021, when the figures for that 2017, 18 and 19 were released. I take responsibility for that, I understand. But as be has become abundantly clear and obvious in the last three weeks. This highlights the existence of two RTEs. Two, there are those who are involved in attempting to conceal payments and who were in a position to call me or call my agent and ask for our help in establishing the full facts. Instead, they chose to hurriedly issue a deeply, deeply damaging statement on June 22nd, which failed to include the full facts. I have nothing but respect and admiration for that great number of decent, hardworking people in RTE, my colleagues, my friends. And I'm very sorry for those whose lives have been made difficult with an incessant dripping of new revelations. I'm thinking particularly of my radio show colleagues and friends that they've had to be put through all of this for reasons not of their own making. They work hard. They all work hard in RT. And I want to thank those colleagues who have supported me through these last few weeks. And in closing, I'd like to thank the many people from across the country who've taken time to stop me on the street, decent Irish citizens,
taking my shoulder and my elbow in their hands and saying, you'll get through this. I have nearly a foot off the ground high, ground high of cards and letters from people who have written to Ryan Tuberty Dublin. And I got them fair play to the post people in on post. And I thank the Irish people for that. I am hopeful that they will see from my statement and my appearance here today that I am determined to inform them of the truth and to demonstrate that I have nothing to hide. And I'm also hopeful that I will soon get back on air to do the job I love. Thank you all for your patience. Thank you, Mr. Jordy. Okay, that was it in its entirety. So I think you would describe him as emotional and it's sometimes angry. Uh, banging his fist on the table to make points that he really needed to drive home, apologising to his colleagues and to his listeners for uh, the distress or, you know, um, perhaps apologising for feeling that they have been let down, wanting to clear up a fog of confusion. He called out a lot of untruths. One of them got straight to the point, said, I took a 20% pay cut Um, and also added that I do additional work outside of RTE. Uh, spoke there as well about the foot high of well-wishers cards that he has um, received from people and went into some detail about the timing as to whether he, when he decided and actually did retire from the late, late um, and that uh, one was linked to the other, the scandal and his retiring. He says that wasn't even remotely true. It's because he was burnt out and exhausted. Uh, he talks about um, covertly pay overpaid by RTE. Uh, like secret deals, not true. He said, whatever I was paid was within my contract. Uh, there were RTE over and under declarations, which were not of his doing. Uh, he spoke of the anger amongst his colleagues. And he understood that and apologized for that. He says, uh, I was not aware at any time that RTE were actually concealing payments to me. He very powerfully said in part of that audio statement there that my employer engaged in deceptive practice. Um, I'm assuming that I got that audio right because that's a fairly strong statement to make. He said, I never tried to conceal um, any kind of a secret deal with Rena. How could I? These events were in public. They were all over social media. Uh, That'll be a difficult one from the the point of view of questions, though, because of, um, you know, the 75 grand that was paid by Renault and the amount involved and then the two other amounts being paid by by RTE, which he would also say were part of an agreement with D Forbes. Now, D Forbes isn't there and probably never will be there. So we're never going to get her interpretation of events. But he does say in the audio, everyone who needed to know knew. So he's saying there was a lot more in RTE who knew of all of the events across different departments, I'd imagine he means by that. He says that, um, why didn't he correct the published figures? He said, I should have. I accept that. I apologize for that. And also makes the point about the €120,000 exit payment. I mean, it's pretty much unheard of uh, because I'm a contractor as well. I'm not an employee of of Red FM. So I paddle my own canoe in all of those regards and I don't get any of the statutory obligations that a company would have to employees. I'm not an employee. But in all of the contracts that I ever, ever signed, and I signed an awful lot of them, there is never anything like an exit fee. There is nothing like that. You know, why would you pay somebody an exit fee when they've come to the end of a contract? You just, you don't do that. It's a sweetener, I suppose, to keep them in contract. But if you're in contract and and you break a contract, there's a clause in the contract anyway that doesn't allow you to work for anybody else where the contract is in place. So that's going to be a difficult one from with regards to the questions. But what he is saying is he didn't invoice for the 120 grand. He forewent it. It was foregone and he didn't receive it. Interestingly, because many people will be asking as to whether he's tax compliant, he is. He says he paid all his taxes in full. And he says, my employer engaged in deceptive practices. And he went on then to describe two different RTEs, the concealers 
and those that work hard. Uh, so that's my summation of it, but never mind about me. What did you guys make of the statement? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. So that's one part of the jigsaw puzzle um, with regards to Ryan Tuberty's opening statement. The other part, of course, is the role of his agent, uh, Noel Kelly, um, and he represents quite a number of people within RTE and represents them with regards to contract renewals, negotiating with RTE, and also many of the extracurricular activity that, say, contractors would do outside of, of RTE. Um, he then followed Ryan Tuberty and also addressed the PAC committee. If you'll allow me, so, Herlock and deputies, thank you for the opportunity to meet with you today. I hope this meeting will help to clarify the confusion which has arisen over the past few weeks. At the outset, I want to say that we appreciate the seriousness of all of these issues. The controversy over the past few weeks has been damaging to RTE, but it's also been hugely damaging to Ryan Tuberty, to myself and to my own business. Earlier today, we circulated a pack which we believe are the key documents that will help understand this crisis. The document runs 39 pages and it includes relevant excerpts from Ryan's 2015 and 2020 contracts with RTE. Extracts from the accounts of Ryan's company for the relevant years, various mails which track the back and forth of the negotiations for the 2020 RT contract with Renault. We've made redactions where necessary, but we've been as transparent as possible to inform you uh, with all the information at our disposal. I want to highlight a number of documents which, we go, which will go to the heart of the issues. Let me start with Ryan's under-declaration of payments made to Ryan when they were published figures for 17, 18, 19 and in January 21. This issue has caused a lot of distress and it's entirely a mess of Ortiz's own making. Ryan's contract from 2015, pages 1 to 4 of the pack, clearly states the fees he received in each of the following five years and they're set out in clause 8.1 of the contract. It was 495, 495, 545, 545, 545 for the five years. He received those fees exactly, nothing more and nothing less. This is confirmed in the extracts from Ryan's filed accounts, company Tuttle Productions, which we also include in the pack. We note that the accounts of Tuttle Productions run from January to December, whereas Ortiz's contract ran from September. In January 21, when Orti made its incorrect declarations, they knew what they had paid Ryan. Indeed, the Chief Financial Officer emailed us on the 19th of December 2019 on page 5 in the, in the pack. She set out the actual earnings for each of the relevant years correctly. But just over a year later, in January 2021, Orti made false or incorrect declarations about the same figures. In some respects, this was an accident waiting to happen. We'd previously asked Orti to give us reasonable notice when they plan to publish figures, my email on the 16th of January 2020, page 6 of the pact, specifically requests this. If they'd done that, we would have had time to check the figures and avoid errors. However, Orti ignored our request for reasons I still don't understand. In March 2020, we saw the first sign that Orti, with all its accountants and auditors, might be struggling to understand the, the correct accounting treatment for what they paid Ryan in 2017, 2018 and 2019. That month they sent us a letter about exit fee bonus Ryan was due as part of his 2015 contract. It was agreed that Ryan was not going to raise an invoice for this and they wanted to agree how to explain it. But in the draft which was sent to us 
They propose to change the payments which they made to Ryan already, effectively lowering them by €120,000. Their logic was that they could offset £120,000 we had agreed not to ask for in 2020 against payments which had already been made to Ryan for 17, 18 and 19. We argued against this. And they accepted our points at the time. This is clear from the document, pages 14 to 16 of our pack. For some reason, however, it looks like the confused thinking returned and they published again the wrong figures in January 2021, effectively causing his reputation damage to rhyme the process. Huge reputational damage, sorry. One important point I should add. Just last month, on the 23rd of June, RT published new figures. Effectively, they restated figures for payments to Ryan for 17, 18 and 19 and added in declarations for figures paid to him in 2021. Bizarrely, the figures they declare for both 20 and 21 are wrong. In both years, they overstate the amount they paid Ryan. And we address this issue on page 28 and 29 of the pack. For 2020, they overstated earnings of 62,536. For 21, they overstated 83,381. So clearly, Orti is still struggling with these declarations. Now let's turn to the Renault contract, which ran parallel to the 2020 contract which Ryan had with Orti. I refer you to page 5 of the pack. This is an email sent to NK Management on the 19th of December 2019 from Orti's then Chief Financial Officer, Ms. Breda O'Keefe. This email sets out Orti's starting position for negotiations on the 2020 contract. You will see that this email is where the idea of a commercial sponsorship with a third party with an annual fee of €75,000 is first suggested. This comes from RTE. This did not strike us as unusual, as Renault was a key sponsor for RTE, so it was understandable that they would try to wish to ensure that all parties were aligned. Next we come to RTE's decision to underwrite this Renault contract. This is perhaps the most shocking revelation of this morning. Since this controversy began, Orti tried to distance themselves from this decision. Effectively, they have blamed the former Director General D. Forbes for doing a solo run and giving a verbal commitment to underwrite the contract on a Zoom call in May. Orti executives had said that there was a strong pushback against the idea of underwriting the agreement. That is incorrect. I refer you to page 10 of the pack. So at the time, Ms. Breed O'Keefe was Chief Financial Officer of RTE. On this page, you will see an email which she sent to my office dated the 20th of February 2020. It is copied to another member of the Executive Board, the then Director General and RTE's solicitor. In this email, Ms. Breed O'Keefe responds in red to various points which had been discussed. She states at the top of the email that this is our final position because negotiations go back and forth, back and forth. This is our final position in respect, in respect of the new contract. On the last paragraph on this page, Ms O'Keefe, on behalf of RTE, states explicitly, we can provide you with the side letter to underwrite this fee for the duration of the contract. There was no secret. There is no secret. There was no secret. To our surprise, Mr. O'Keefe told the committee last week when she left RTE in March that there was no support to provide that type of guarantee and no such guarantee was on offer. But she had written to us making exactly that offer a month earlier. 
Last week, nobody from RTE here with Miss O'Keefe challenged her when she said that. And we were surprised too, because on the 30th of June, four days before she appeared at the media committee, we wrote to RTE and highlighted the significance of Miss O'Keefe's email. Her email also casts a new light on the contribution of Adrian Lynch, Deputy Director General, to this committee. Mr Lynch told the committee that agreement was to give underwrite. The contract was given verbally on a Zoom call with NK management on the 7th of May by the then Director General. And he described this as significant point at the centre of this. Ortia tried to portray the guarantee as the decision given late in the negotiations on a Zoom call by D Forbes with the awareness of the executive board. Clearly this was not correct. The decision was taken early by RTE and known widely within the executive board in RTE. So let me move to the invoicing arrangements for Renault contract. Our document pack shows that RTE did not just suggest the idea of the contract with Renault. It oversaw every development and implementation of same. We were happy with that. We knew Renault was a major, major sponsor for RTE. So RTE would be committed to keeping them happy. We knew the contract with Renault was a separate contract from Ryan's independent contractor services Ryan had for RTE for radio and TV work. We understood that Ryan would have to do extra work for Renault, but that was no difference to the other work that Ryan would do for the BBC or with his publishers, etc. This was just a separate commercial agreement. Ryan was agreeing to a substantial pay cut from RTE and he was entitled to seek other work outside of RTE. There was nothing secret about this. Nothing secret about this. Far from it, the contract required Ryan to do public appearances for Renault, which they could seek and expect attention, and indeed they did. So with the terms agreed, RT instructed us how to invoice for this work. For the first invoice, they instructed us to raise an invoice directly with Renault, and they gave us names and details set out the proposed narrative for the invoice. As you can see, the instructions RT gave us for this is an email on the 24th of July 2020, page 23 in this pack. And on page 24, you can see the invoice we did indeed send to Renault. When it came to invoices for two and three, Ortee gave us new instructions. I refer to, to page 25 of the pack. This is an email from the then commercial director, Geraldine O'Leary, dated the 29th of April 2022. This invoice passed on instructions as for how invoices two and three should be raised and the email instructions on the company name to be put on the invoice, asked us the address to be put on the invoice, the VAT reference to be included in, in the invoice, and it instructs us not to put any person's name on it. This email also gave us general insurance from a colleague of Mr. Lee's that said, if he, meaning NK management, sends it back to me, I will sort everything else out. You should know that while invoices were made to Astus, we were directed by e to email them to RTE. They would do what was necessary to process them with Astus. I should stress that at this time, we in NK management had no idea who Astus was. We had no reason to think that Astus was linked to RTE or that it was acting on behalf of RTE. We had no idea they might be making payments to us on behalf of RTE or that the payments were linked to RTE underwriting the Renault contract. RT never said that to us, Astus never said that to us, and Renault never said that to us. We simply followed instructions we were given, as we had with the first invoice. You will see a copy of the two invoices raised in the name of Astus being sent by email from us to RT in the pack, pages 26-27. People have asked us why we went along with those instructions, why we didn't set out more detail about what the invoice is related to. But at the time, we had no reason to suspect that RT might be trying to hide payments to Ryan, and I'm still shocked that that was their intention. We trusted RTE, 
It's not some unknown start-up with opaque funding and checkered past or a record for dodgy financial dealings. It's a national institution, 100 years old, massive business turning over 350 million a year. It has internal and external auditors. It has a heavyweight board, teams of financial advisors, accountants. As Mr. Backhurst said yesterday, RT has robust processes and rigorous oversight of financial in many parts of the organisation. And that is what we assumed too. Why would we suspect that they were hiding information about one of their key contracts? Why would they even do that? Why would they even do that? We're nearing the end, and I'm sorry, but it's important. But I want to address one other thing. There's been a lot of coverage of a side letter with the 2020 contract in which the Director General says the agreed earnings in the contract won't be reduced during the term of the contract. As any lawyer will confirm, this letter had no practical impact. The contract itself guarantees the earnings, and that is what a contract does. We were simply trying to impress an RTE that Ryan had just signed up to new cuts in his 2020 contract of 525,000 and had also never taken the payment of 120,000. So they shouldn't even think about coming back for more cuts given the size of those cuts. And to conclude, ladies and gentlemen, for the past number of years, Ryan has continued to perform at the highest level, working with millions of colleagues and leading shows which bring in over the six-year period, 100 million in revenue to RTE. He raises tens of millions for charities through the Toy Show, various appeals. We've heard a lot about RTE's public service ethos, a lot about the public service ethos, but let's call a spade a spade. RTE is a hybrid organisation. Its commercial activities are key to keeping the station afloat, maintaining jobs and creating content. Ryan Trippity has been a huge driver for, most, for RT's most successful commercial activities over the past 14 years. Ryan and I have attracted, and our families, and our friends, a horrendous, horrendous amount of criticism and abuse in the past few weeks, and I would not wish it on anybody. Why? Because the only figure in this whole story whose face was recognisable, was Ryan Turley. He's been made a poster boy for this scandal, and that's undeserved. This is not the Ryan Turley scandal. This is the RTE scandal. Thank you. Lord Kelly, uh, Ryan Tuberty's agent, talking about the huge um, damages, reputational damage done to... Ryan Tuberty, and he talks about that uh, side letter from the CFO at the time, um, which says we can provide you with the side letter to underwrite this fee for the duration of the contract. And they say it was not anything of of their asking. What he's saying, my understanding of it, humbly suggesting, is that um, there was a lot of people within RT who knew exactly what was going on, but he became the poster boy of it. He talks about um, RTE themselves being the ones who overstated the payments each year. That the the instructions regarding the invoices. So the first one was paid by Renault and then COVID came along and Renault pulled out. But at that stage, they had this side letter underwrite, underwriting the two other 75 grands. Uh, and he's saying, Noel Kelly is saying that RTE told them um, what name to bill, Astus, um, which would be the barter accounts. Um, don't put any people's names on it. What Noel Kelly didn't touch on in his contribution there a while ago as to why 
the words consultancy fee was was put on it. But I'm of course quite sure that'll be asked in questions. But he's saying we followed RTE's instructions and we trusted RTE. So I think between the two of them, and your thoughts are welcome on this. I think that uh, both Noel Kelly and uh, Ryan Tuberty have driven another coach and horses through RTE. They have holed them yet again below the waterline um, and thrown all of them back into the spotlight. But doesn't it show how important it is to have two sides of events, really, and, uh, you know, both points of view? Uh, I probably will run out of time, but just a fast one on this. Martin, good morning. Neil, good morning. How are you? Let's okay. On to the command. I just want to the command and say, you know, I think having I was on the fence before this, but having listened to um, both interviews there this morning, I think you know, I think the two lads were had. I think Tuberty is honest, and I think he's above reproach on this. You know, I think they have the facts and figures to back it up, and I think you're right. I think they've driven a coat to horses through RT. You know. I think it's about time the people were held to account, you know, and the culpable ones were rooted out and they were dealt with under law. Under law, you say? Um, you, yeah. When, when you say law, you're talking about Garda Shikon or the fraud squad or what? Say fraud squad and Garda Shikon. I mean, there's obvious there's obvious allegations of corruption and collusion here. And if, if, if they're found to be truthful... Can you perjure I mean, you yourself know? at a doll committee like this? You don't you don't swear on a stack of Bibles. You, you know, you, you can't be prosecutor for not telling the full truth I believe. No you probably can't in a situation or in an environment like that but I suppose if there's going to be a full investigation it'll probably go to the fraud squad and it'll go to the DPP and if it does get to court I'd imagine the people who are culpable will be made to answer or they'll, they'll be questioned and there'll, there'll obviously be a case or a trial whatever the case Well these be. are two statements I mean I'm clearly on the air so I can't hear the questions that are being asked but the devil will be in the detail. The PAC committee are asking questions of them now um, just to strip away any kind of the veneer they might have put on things. There's more to see here, clearly, and they will root it out throughout the course of, of the well, day. There is. It'll, it'll all come out in the wash, of course, but I mean, you have to admit like, that there are stand-up statements held, held grounds, you know? Yeah, I have to say, um, yeah, with the stream of emails that were back and forth throughout all of this chaos and even before it, um, that shows that there was a lot of back channels open all of the time um, trying to get things corrected trying to get things clarified um, if somebody negotiates a contract on your behalf I think Ryan Tuberty has been saying to answer one of the questions you leave him do his job and you do yours and you don't get exactly. involved and they both put their full faith in RT and you know up to now I thought okay well how do you get those kind of payments and not know you have them but it wasn't he didn't know that he had them he didn't he didn't see anything wrong in them because he put his faith in these people and you know okay Noel Kelly might be a little bit culpable or he might be a little bit culpable Tuberty and not coming forward and saying okay well why was it done this way but they put their full faith in these people and you know the accountants and the forensic accountants and the, the, the CFO and the the, the, the GD and RT, they all have to be held to account. So well. on, just on the basis of his statement and the backing up statement by Noah Kelly, has it changed your opinion? It has. I'd be a lot more on the side of Noel Kelly and Tuberty now, but to be honest, when I hear the two of them, you know, Tuberty sounds the more kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? He sounds the more um, humane of the two, you know, and the more kind of... I don't think it's totally wild. I suppose his speech was rehearsed. It sounds like it's a lot more heartfelt, you know, where Noel Kelly, I suppose, is used to dealing with these kind of things in the public domain all the time. You say that you hope that he's innocent, exonerated um, and honest. I do. I believe okay. he is, but I'd, I'd hope that that's the case. You know, okay. I suppose he's probably he's probably more used to talking in a much more um, legally speak kind of um, tone and um, term in these 
these kind of events or these situations, but Tuberty sounded to me very frank and very honest. You know? Okay, let's see what the day brings. Thank you, Martin. Our lines will stay open. You can text 0868 104 106. Uh, email neil at redfm.ie. Our phone lines are open. We have four family passes to give away from Monkey Maze in Glanmire, the largest indoor activity centre and party venue for kids in Cork. And it's a lot of fun. So get dialing for those now. We'll take callers 9, 10, 11 and 12 on 0818 104 106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.